With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pick Side Podcast. My name is Joel Moran, and I'm here with Jack Bartek and River Brown Jr. This is now episode 57. <laughs> In this episode, we're going to talk about what's wrong with the Raptors, the season-ending injuries to Markel Fultz, the Pacers' hot start, Julius Randle and the Knicks' emergence. I can't wait to talk about that. And who has been the most impressive rookie so far? Then we're going to finish off the episode debating whether Curry can lead the Warriors to the playoffs if the Trailblazers are in need of one more piece, if the Suns are a legit threat, and how far Houston can go if Harden decides to stay or if they just don't trade Harden. Um, and I actually misspoke. We're not going to do that Curry topic because we did it about – we did it in last week's episode. Um, but, yeah, if you guys are listening to us on Spotify or the full episode on YouTube, uh, we're not recording on the regular interface, so the sound quality might be a little bit down. You know, because this is on Zoom right now, we're doing this from home. This is our third episode of the week, and it's hard to commute three times a week to record. So, yeah, how you guys doing, man? You just called me a junior, and I keep trying to tell you I'm not a junior. I am a senior. <laughs> so, River Brown Senior. Yes, that is me. So, how you doing, Jack? I'm doing all right, man. Can't complain. Happy to talk some basketball. It feels like it's been forever since we got to talk about basketball, but with the football playoffs and everything else, you know, it's been tough, but I'm happy to finally talk about some basketball. Yeah, me too. And we were going to do an, a basketball episode last week, but I felt like it would have been way too early. There was a lot of stuff. I mean, the Cavs were in first seed last week. Um, there's still a little bit of stuff that is weird right now, but I think Two weeks into the season, things are kind of more settled in. We know who's doing what. We kind of can project things. So the you first guys, we're going to the uh, MVP, uh, the early MVP uh, rankings. Uh, I didn't. I mean, I, I would do Nikola Jokic at. He one. wasn't up there. Well, that's nah, top he, five. He was on there, but he wasn't in the top, top five. five. I don't think it was. It was LeBron, Luca, Paul George, and B. Curry. Those were the it five. Was ridiculous. And River Brown Senior. He was up there too. Well, Joker's been losing. You can't put him up there in the top five. He's losing. So then why? I'll say this. I'll say this before Joel gets to say it and take it and run with it. Julius Randle should have been up there because he's playing great. Yeah, Julius Randle, Malcolm Brogdon. I feel like should have been up there. Should have been up there. Should be a lot of guys up there. They just took the. They just took big name players and put them up there. I just the LeBron one was the only one that kind of was like I was like I felt like "Ah, I didn't really see MVP yet, but. You know, we'll see. So the first topic we're going to talk about is the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors have been playing really bad so far. At the time of this recording, they're one in six. It's Friday night, so if they play today, they might win. They might lose. Who they play? Um, I'm not sure. I don't even have the schedule in front of me, but 
their losses are to New Orleans, the Spurs, the Sixers, the Pelicans, the Celtics, and Phoenix as well. And their only win this season has come against the New York Knicks. And what's wrong with the Toronto Raptors? This is the team that finished with the top three seed last season in the Eastern Conference. And, I mean, they lost Serge Ibaka. They lost Marc Gasol. But I didn't think that was going to be enough for them to take this much of a hit because I, I don't really know what direction they're going in. I feel like this isn't just a slump. I feel like this is who they're going to be. You know, I, I don't see them making that resurgence and really proving the world wrong like they did last year this season. Well, I want to start because I am a big advocate of saying Toronto is one of the more regular season teams. They're not a playoff team to me. They're just a team that's going to win a lot of games. And I think we all expected them to be really good, but they had a really bad start. And defensively, let's start with that. Defensively, they haven't looked too good. They're allowing a lead record 104 points a game. This is their worst start in 15 years. They aren't that good. Defensively, they aren't there. But I think what's been killing them is what I've been talking about for years. They don't have a closer. They haven't established a guy that can close games. They're second to last in fourth quarter points with 22 points a game. And they don't have a guy that can, like a Kawhi, or even at times with DeMar DeRozan back in the day, who can get it done at the end of games. Pascal has shown that he cannot be that guy. He is a guy who's very easy to, to control. He doesn't have many moves. His skill is still a bit short. And he's not like a Giannis guy where he lacks skill, but he's dominant in a sense where you don't have to worry about it too much. This is a guy who's very skinny. The jump shot isn't all quite there. So you got a guy in Pascal who isn't, he hasn't elevated to that leading a team yet. And that's what I think has been missing this whole time that, fourth quarter finishing and I think with Kawhi and I being there even with the DeMar DeRozan led teams you've seen it they weren't gonna make a lot of noise in the playoffs in terms of getting to the finals but they were always gonna be a tough team in the regular season you know one seed two seed three seed it was always gonna win a lot of games with those DeMar DeRozan teams but with this team you just don't know yeah and I'll start by saying tonight they play the Kings and I'll tell you one thing about the Kings that is no gimme a lot of people you know including I think all three of us did not expect what they've been this season but they've been really fun to watch and they've competed every night with some good teams out west so that's going to be a tough matchup for them but when you look at last season they were about an average to above average on a good night offensive team but their bread and butter was their defense. They were one of the best defensive teams in basketball last year. They had the second best defensive rating last season in the regular season. And then you come into this year and while they've been about average to maybe slightly above average offensively, they've been below average. One of the worst teams in the league defensively, they lost a lot inside. And I think that switching Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka for Aaron Baines and Alex Len certainly did not help that. Uh, they're they're they have the worst rebound percentage in the league and they're 25th and second chance points allowed. So that's obviously hurt them. Even when they're getting stops, you know, they're giving second chance points to the other team and that's no recipe to win games. And then offensively, what's really killing them is just their scheme. Like they're 24th in the league in three point field goal percentage, but they're also attempting the most threes in the league. 43% of their points are coming from behind the three-point line, and they don't shoot the ball well at all. And like Rib was saying, they just don't have that guy who can run the offense, who can take it over. I think they were hoping that Pascal Siakam would step into that role after the loss of Kawhi Leonard, and he really hasn't progressed much since then. I feel like he might have regressed in a way 
especially last season in the playoffs and now continuing into this year, him and Aaron Baines behind the three-point line have been atrocious. They're shooting somewhere around 20% from behind the three-point line. And so it's just been a bad recipe. I feel like nobody on that team has stepped up and become the guy. They're a great supporting cast, missing that number one. And it's shown so far. And I think Nick Nurse is a great coach. If anybody in the league was going to turn it around, I think he can do it. But, I mean, it's not looking good right now. And and there's a lot of teams out east that have been playing great to start the season. So they got to figure it out quick. I don't think that this is a great supporting cast. I don't think this is the same Raptors team that we saw from, from a couple of years ago or even last year. Um, mainly because, look, these are the people that have been disappointments for the Raptors. Let's just call it like it is. Terrence Davis. He, he, he assaults a woman before the season starts. He has a lot of court trouble, legal troubles, and he's been really bad on defense. I can't believe he made the all-rookie team over R.J. Barrett, who's averaging 17 points per game this season. We'll talk about the Knicks later. But Terrence Davis has been a disappointment. He was supposed to improve. He didn't improve. He came into the league as a rookie, being known as a guy who can shoot three and play really tough defense, and his defensive ability has completely gone away this, this season. Aaron Baines, you counted on Aaron Baines to fill the role of not only Ibaka, but of Marc Gasol as well. And right now, even uh, Marc Gasol had an off year last year, and I don't even think Aaron Baines is is playing as good as Marc Gasol did for the Raptors last season. And there's a report that came out that said the Raptors wanted to re-sign both Ibaka and Gasol, but Ibaka refused because he didn't want to be with Gasol. You know, he wanted to get more minutes and be the man. But, you know, I think the Baca loss kind of cancels out because Chris Boucher has been stepping up. He's been averaging 12 points per game. He's been a gem. But when you look at this team, Kyle Lowry, Van Vliet, Siakam, and then, like, you know, OG is there, but OG can't create a shot, and he hasn't been shooting too well. Fred Van Vliet is, is playing well. And Lowry, he's 36 years old, playing 36 minutes per game. You can't be playing a guy that old that much time, even though he's playing well. And you mentioned it about um, Siakam shooting. He still can't shoot. He's been playing better offensively as of recent. But another guy who's been a disappointment is Norman Powell. He averaged 15 points per game last season. He's at nine right now. He's shooting horrible from the field. Maybe this is just a shooting slump. But you said it, Jack, and I think I want to correct you on this. They're a really bad offensive team. You know, they're not only bottom 20 they're not bottom 20 they're they're in the high 20s in defense but they're 23rd in offense like this team is really bad offensively they don't have that go-to option they were hoping that was Siakam but Siakam's not that type of player Siakam is a is can be the second best player on the team second best score and even then he has a lot of inconsistencies Toronto Raptors they're built on defense you can win games in the NBA if you have great defense and you have a bad offense. Just look at what the Knicks are doing right now. They're 5-3 and three because their defense is so good right now. And right now, they're not playing defense well, and their offense is what it is and what it has been since Kawhi left. And I think that was one of the things I always talked about with this team. You know, defensively, they were one of the best defensive teams in the league. They were going to win games on defense. But come playoff time, Defense only takes you so far in the fourth quarter. You got to win games or offense. You got to have that guy who can take over a game. And they just don't have it. And right now, they're another thing I want to get on is this year, they're averaging 14 free throws a game, which is nearly a 10 
10 drop from last year. They was at 24. Now it's at 14. So they, they're just not getting the calls defensively. They're not doing it. They're allowing 45% from the field. So they're not, they're just not doing what they usually do to win games. And I think that is going to hit them early on. And I think another thing, every team this year, they didn't have a lot of training camp. So I understand that from an aspect, they're still trying to figure out rotations and figure out how to play with each other in a sense. But I feel like the Sergi Baca, even though Kuz Boucher, like you said, is averaging 12 points, Sergi Baca, the way he can stretch the floor, he can shoot the jump shot, he can block shots. I feel like that is missing in that offense. And because right now the bigs they have just aren't as respectable as Sergi Baca. Boucher can too. He's shooting 38% from three right now. So he's been able to stretch the floor. It's really been Aaron Baines. Aaron Baines hasn't been as advertised. He came off a career year in Phoenix and he came into came to Toronto. And he's not playing like that at all. Do you yeah, think they can turn it around? I mean, I don't have much faith in turning it around. This is what I'm going to say. If you keep this team together, can they turn it around? Possibly. But the real question is, do you want to keep this team together? Mm. Do, you ju- do you want to keep Kyle Lowry? Do you want to trade him and get some assets back? You know, and, and give Malachi Flynn some minutes and develop him. You know, they are in a stage right now where they have to start asking questions about whether they're good enough to compete. You know, do you trade Kyle Lowry? Do you try to make a blockbuster move for, for James Harden? You know, there's a lot of question marks. What do you do? And this is something that Masai Ujiri is going to have to figure out, along with Nick Nurse, is that what direction do they want to head in right now? Yeah, one other thing, you know, we had mentioned how they're clearly a team lacking a superstar number one. One place that becomes very evident is watching them at the end of games. I've seen them a bunch of times in the fourth quarter. They've been in close games this year. They lost to the Spurs down the stretch. They lost to the Sixers down the stretch. They lost to the Pelicans down the stretch. So, like, the Suns, they lost down the stretch. So they've been in some close games. It's not like they're getting blown out. All of their games really have been pretty close. But when it comes down the stretch, when they need a big shot, they don't have that guy to give the ball and tell him to take over like all the other great teams in this league do. And that brings me to my point. Like you said, what direction do you want to go in here? You know, you have you got your championship. You have your championship to hang your hat on and you can confidently turn this around and say, we did what we had to do to win that championship. And now we're turning a, a new leaf over in our franchise history send Kyle Lowry to a contender. Someone will overpay for him at the deadline because you know there's going to be some team that thinks they can make a run and need that point guard. You know, I know his contract is massive, but I'm sure they'll find somewhere to fit him. I and think it's you, a rental. Yeah, no, it's, it's exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if you start going in this, you know, rebuild cycle, there's not many executives in the league I would trust more than Masai Ujiri to turn it around quick. He's done an excellent job there since he took over. And you give him some assets, I'd like to see what he can do. But then again, okay, so you guys said just the um, 2021. Okay, yeah. So you guys say trade Kyle Lowry, right? How much do you think you can get out of him, though? If he is on a one-year rental, he is 36 years old. First round is, pick. From where, though? Because there isn't a lot of teams who have the cap to offer that. And how much are teams willing to give to get Kyle Lowry? I mean, I, I mean, I think you get a you're gonna they're gonna get a first round pick for Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry is really good. He's a really good player. Still, an All Star level player. If Marcus Morris last year got traded for a first round pick, 
then Kyle Lowry is going to get a first round pick back. They could maybe get two. They yeah, they but that's get that's sixteen mil to thirty three though. That's different contract. Yeah, I, I understand the contract is big, but it, it's hard to say now. But when you get to the trade deadline, I would feel pretty confident in saying that there's going to be a team that's maybe in the mix or borderline. Like one move could really make a difference for them, and I feel like somebody will pull the trigger and at least give up a first pick, and a then, first round pick. Back to the James Harden thing. What do you give up? Like, you're going to have to give up a lot to get him. But when you do get him, how much is the team still going to be intact where he can say, all right, this is the team I can win with? Oh, yeah, get, of course. I'm, I'm pretty sure Pascal is probably going to have to go if you get James Harden. Yeah. No, yeah, of course. But this is that's the decision that they're going to have to make. And what direction do you want to go in? If you trade Lowry and then you, you kind of you're, – you're hoping that your team remains bad, now you got a shot at Cade Cunningham who – his we know probably is going to be a star, but not only him, you have a chance at a lot of these other great prospects in the draft. And in this modern lottery, you can get those top picks, even if you don't finish at the bottom of the barrel. But right now they're one in six. Their next 10 games are against Sacramento, Golden State, then Portland, then Charlotte twice, then Dallas, then Miami twice, then Indiana twice. So their next 10 isn't an easy schedule. They could possibly they could possibly be maybe I see I see wins against maybe they could be Sacramento. I see Sacramento. I could see them beating Charlotte as well. It can't be my Warriors, man. Golden State, Portland, Dallas, Miami twice, Indiana twice. Damn. Indiana's gonna be a dog fight. That that's like that's seven losses right there. So, you know, it's not looking good. Their schedule is really tough to start the year. But now the next team we're going to talk about is a team that is starting off good in the Eastern Conference right now, the Orlando Magic. Currently at the time of this recording, they're 6-2. and two, But we're not going to talk about them as a team. What we're going to talk about is one of their young star players that they hope to build the franchise around. He got injured. Markel Fultz suffered the torn left ACL. And I feel like this is a sad story. This is a guy who, when he first came into the league, he had shoulder problems that made him sit out with Philly. He then gets traded to Orlando. He finally has a chance. His rookie season was basically last year. He played okay. And even though his numbers don't show it this season, I mean, it was just the beginning of the season. And I feel sad because he didn't have a chance to develop into the player that he wanted to develop in. I mean, he's still 22, so he has a long way to go. But now you lose Jonathan Isaac, who's another young player, and Markel Fultz, both to ACL injuries. It's a, it's a sad story. I think this is this is a huge blow to Orlando's future because, you know, like you said, Markel Fultz is 22 years old. He was just starting to get it going, just starting to get his game back. I remember him coming out of college. He was the he was looked at as the best player out of college. You know, at Washington, he put on numbers. He was doing phenomenal. Then that shoulder injury, like you said, really did him damage. But he came back to Orlando, a new environment, a new spot. He fixed it up, and now he tore his ACL. I think – He's going to come back stronger just because of the new medicine and the new production and how we can build people back up. So I like the direction that he's going in. He's going to be fine. I know that for a fact. But how is this going to affect his game? Because his game is predicated on his athleticism. And he does. He still is working on that jump shot. But I think for Orlando's future, you know, we just they just gave him an extension. Then he tears his ACL. So this is going to be 
huge for them in a sense, not just him, but Jonathan Isaac also, because those are the two guys that they paid. Those are the two guys that just decided, all right, these are the two guys I'm going to work with for the future. And both of them have bright futures. So I, I'm, I feel bad for him, but I think it'll be okay. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. The one good thing for Markel Fultz, but unfortunate thing for the Magic, as terrible as it sounds, is they just gave him that extension this offseason, three years, $50 million. So at least he got paid, which is a good thing. It would have really been sad to see him have a nice year last year coming back from all those injuries and then get injured this year without being paid. So at least he got his contract, and you know, hopefully he can use that time to work back and get back to full strength. But in seven games, you know, he was playing all right. He was about 15 points, six assists, four rebounds. And you were starting to see that potential, even at the end of last year, of those flashes of why teams thought that he was the consensus number one overall pick. And, you know, he had all the potential in the world. Like Griff said, those shoulder injuries ruined him in Philadelphia. And he just got caught up in maybe not a perfect situation where they were moving too fast for his development. And he wasn't ready to be on that competitive of a team yet. And, you know, he got this this reset button almost in Orlando. So to see him now take that step back is super unfortunate. But I, I like what Orla- Orlando has going for them. They got to get past these injuries. But I think John Isaac is going to be a great player. Markel Fultz, if he can come back healthy. And, you know, they have some young talent there. And they have some veteran pieces that at one point you have to imagine they'll start flipping. I, I like the the basis that they have right now but their future is becoming more and more murky with these injuries. And, you know, they've been playing well, so they could be a playoff team again, but ultimately I don't know if that's the best thing for them. They're one of those teams that they're playing well, and it's a, it's a credit to their defense. I mean, right now they're, they're the sixth rated defense in the NFL, according to if you use defensive rating. And Vucevic and Terrence Ross are both averaging 20 points per game. Terrence Ross is already – he was already a great sixth man – last season and this season he's taken a huge step but what I think that people aren't talking about enough is that Markel Fultz going down now means they're probably going to start Cole Anthony you go in that direction and now Cole Anthony has to perform sooner rather than later this is a great opportunity for him to showcase what he has so far he's been extremely inefficient averaging about nine points per game and he was inefficient in college so this isn't something new but hopefully Cole Anthony can figure it out because, I mean, they pretty much drafted him to kind of be that insurance policy for Markel Fultz because you weren't sure what Markel Fultz was going to be. You know, at, at when they traded for him, this was a project. This wasn't a proven player. They took a chance on him. And in his in last season, it worked a little bit. But now this year, obviously, Cole Anthony has to step up now. Yeah, I agree. I think this is also a decision where they can figure out Early with next year's draft, I think I'm pretty confident Orlando has their pick. So if they do fall in late, they can decide, okay, can we go in this co-Anthony direction? How well does he play this year? Do we need to draft another guard in next year's draft? Because like we all keep talking about, next year's draft is loaded. So I think this is a best case scenario to see what co-Anthony is and to still work on Markel Fultz. I hope, like you said, I hope co-Anthony looks good, but his inefficiency in college, he was doing a lot of those work in college he was their primary playmaker he was their primary scoring he doesn't his jump shot isn't always there but I am hoping that he can be that guy for them because I do like him as a player but this is a sad case for Orlando they have to figure out what direction they're going in because like Jack said they have a lot of pieces that they can unload 
They can get some first-round picks out of Vucevic if they decide he is about to be 30. Terrence Ross, a spark plug, kind of like a Lou Will roll off the bench. They can get something for him. So they And they still have Aaron Gordon. You know, that's a guy who's probably going to be what he is right now at this point for the rest of his career, so they can unload on him. So they got a lot of guys that they can get some draft picks out of, so hopefully they make the right decision. Yeah, Orlando, I mean, they're 6-2, and two, but in my opinion, I don't think the teams that they've beat are very impressive. I mean, the Cavs, they beat OKC. Then they beat the Wizards, which we know they're horrible defensively, um, and the Heat. Those are the only teams that they've beaten so far. The Heat is a, is a great win, of course. Um, but the other teams, they're not really great wins. You know, they're 6-2, and two, but that 6-2 and two may be a little bit jaded. I don't know how confident I am in them continuing that. You know, I still think they could be a playoff team, though, 7-8 to eight seed. We saw Atlanta on this hot start, and they're kind of crumbling down. They're coming back to earth. So, you know, I think the, the 7th and 8th spots in the East are pretty much up for grabs for any team. Yeah, and especially with that new playoff system this year that they're adopting from last year with the playing games, I think that the Magic will find themselves at least in a playing game this season, but they're kind of at the hands of everybody else in the East. You know, I don't consider them like now the Raptors have fallen out, but I still think the Sixers, the Pacers, the Pacers, the Celtics, the Nets, even the Heat are all pretty much going to be locks for the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. But then from there, you know, I can almost see any team from the Eastern conference making it the way the Cavaliers have played. The Hornets have looked really good at times. Now the Knicks are playing awesome basketball. So teams that we didn't, the Bulls, I know (laughs) Riv has been watching. So teams that we didn't really expect to play well are playing great basketball. So like I said, it makes the, the outlook a little bit more difficult for the magic. I think they could still be a playoff team, but again, I question if that's the best thing for them moving forward. Because for the last few years, they've kind of been that team stuck in purgatory where it's like you're getting the seventh or eighth seed, but then you just get bounced in five games by one of the better teams in basketball, and you really have nothing to show for it. Question. The play-ins, are those still lottery picks in a draft or no? I think it ends up being the two teams that lose the play-in games and miss the playoffs are in the lottery. Oh, I mean, so yeah, still- I mean, yeah, I mean, there there are 16 playoff teams. So all the teams that don't make the playoffs are lottery teams. Oh, because I was like, because if a play-in is essentially a spot where you can still technically get in, does that mean you can make the play-in, lose the play-in, and still get the number one pick? That's crazy. Yeah, hypothetically, you could get the seventh seed and still be a lottery team. Well, you could finish the season as the seventh seed and still be a lottery team if you lose in the play-in wow. tournament. Okay, that's great. So it's going to be a crazy year, but I I like what Joel said about Cole Anthony Anthony coming in. You know, as much as it sucks to lose faults, you're going to get uh, an extended audition for Cole Anthony. I thought they got good value where they got him at, and I think he's got good NBA potential, but he's got to get adjusted to that NBA speed. And it's always tougher, I feel like, for guards to adjust to the NBA level because everybody says that the game is just so much quicker. Everything moves quicker. So – I think it'll be a good chance for him to get adapted at this level. And he's on a pretty good team with some good players. So it's not like he's just being hung out there to dry. You know, it's an interesting situation. And I'm very curious to see what path they're going to take. I mean, yeah, the, the NBA game is is very quick. Unless you're Emmanuel quickly. He can adjust to the game on the fly. But now we're about to talk about the Indiana Pacers. Then we'll talk about the Knicks. And I'm waiting to talk about the Knicks. Mm. 
boy. The Indiana Pacers are currently third in the Eastern Conference, and they have three players averaging 20 points per game. Sabonis, Oladipo, and Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon is probably the brightest spot on the team. He's averaging 23 points per game, seven assists, 52% from the field, and 47% from three. We know that he's wildly efficient. I'm going to say this. I'm not buying into the Indiana Pacers hype because last season, Malcolm Brogdon was playing at an all-star level as well. He, to begin a year, he was playing phenomenal. And then he dipped down. Everybody started to dip down. What I think is a good sign for the Pacers is that Sabonis is shooting the three well, really well. Oladipo, I think, out of Sabonis and Brogdon, I think Oladipo was the only guy who's probably going to maintain his production so far because he's the only one with efficiency numbers that are kind of down to earth. You look at Brogdon, 52% from the field, 47% from three. Is that going to is that gonna happen for the rest of the year? No, it's not. Sabonis, 50% from the field and from the three. Is he going to keep shooting 50% from the three? No, he's not. Oladipo, 44% from the field and 41% from three. You know, I could see that field goal percentage from Oladipo staying where it is and that three-point percentage maybe getting into the high 30s. But for, for the most part, I see him maintaining his efficiency. And this is what this was a team that I had as a lock to make the playoffs just because of their depth. They have no real star, but they have so many good players. I know TJ Warren has been hurt, and he might be gone for a while, but he's a huge guy too. You know, a lineup of Sabonis, Brogdon, Oladipo and Warren with Miles Turner, that's a really good lineup. And, and Doug McDermott and Justin Holiday, they've been playing really well as well. Well, I want to piggyback a little bit off what you said. I also do not believe in the Indiana, Indiana Pacers hype. Like he said, I think last year we saw Malcolm Brogdon putting on a double-double clinic, putting up, I think he was putting up like 18 and a 12. And he was on his way to make the All-Star team before he fell off. I think – Sabonis, the, the big thing I think is his playmaking. I think he's starting to really expand his game and showing that he can be a really great, versatile big man. I think Miles Turner, I think you slept on Miles Turner. His defense right now is on a whole nother level. He's averaging about four blocks a game. He's dominating the paint. I've seen and like, what? I've seen Julius Randle cook him. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, they have and like they have seven players in double digit scoring. I think when TJ Warren comes back, he's gonna get it going being that score that they need. I think this team is really good. I think this coach is putting his team in positions to win. I think they're going to be a lock for the playoffs. I think Oladipo's production is probably going to stay the same. I think this is good for him because this is a contract year for him. I'm glad he's getting his feet back under him, his legs back under him. I'm glad he's looking like the player he was. But I think this is something really good because we talked about Sabonis as being that traditional big and can he stretch out and shoot the three and be that big man of this generation. And I think he's starting to show that he can really do that. And that's going to be a good sign for Indiana going forward because he's only 26 years old. This guy is probably going to be their franchise player with Oladipo possibly leading. So I think this is going to be a good sign for them. But to be this good, 6-2 and two start, I'm not going to fall for it. I'm going to wait a little bit. I'm going to wait and see until they play the great teams. And I'm going to see how that's going to go for so far so good for Indiana. Wait, so Riv, what, what's the Indiana Pacers coach's name? I don't know. Nate Bjorgren. Yeah, I didn't feel like I didn't even want to like try to do that. I was like, <laughs> like it, I think the question, the answer to the question that we're asking here depends a lot on what you were asking 
you believe the Pacers are. I don't think that anybody is under an illusion that this Pacer team is a championship level team. I I'm looking at them and saying, do I believe they're a second round Eastern conference team? I definitely believe that they will be that team. I would bet they're a top six seed in the Eastern conference. When we get to the end of the season, you know, I, I think they will be high up on that list of those top six seeds because they're a great regular season team. They don't really have that superstar. Sabonis has been playing really well, and so is Malcolm Brogdon, but I don't consider either of them superstars. I'd say they're both probably star-level players, you know, maybe borderline, but they're both playing great basketball. Joel, you hit on it. They have been one of the most efficient teams in basketball on both sides of the ball. It's hard to see offensively those numbers staying at the level they're at. So I don't think they'll be as good as they are right now over the stretch of the whole season. But the reason I'm so confident in them being a great regular season team is because things that aren't going to go away are their defense. Malcolm Brogdon, Victor Oladipo, Miles Turner, the holidays coming off the bench, all of them are great defenders. And so, you know, they've been really good this year. I think they'll continue to be that good the rest of the season. Sabonis has even been playing well defensively this year. So they got a good unit there. And you said it too, the depth, you know, even losing Warren and Lamb already this season, they've been able to fill in. I believe it was Aaron Holiday who stepped into the starting lineup and Justin has been coming off the bench, but Aaron Holiday or whichever Holiday is slid into the starting lineup has Justin. been playing. Justin, Justin. Has, has been playing Justin. great basketball. Um, and Aaron's been struggling a little bit off the bench, but I think he'll turn it around. And, you know, they have Doug McDermott, one of the most efficient three-point shooters in basketball, and TJ McConnell, who underrated piece, but he's always going to come out, play hard, give you an extra ball handler, play, play great defense. So I like the unit they have. I, come playoff time, it's tough to see them beating any of those top teams in the Eastern Conference because they don't have a Kevin Durant. They don't have a Giannis. They don't have a Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo. They don't have Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons, but they have a very nice unit. I think they are what the what the Raptors wanted to be this year, and you got to give credit to Nate Bjorgren for the job he's done. But, again, I don't think they'll look this good throughout the season only because they've shot the ball so well, and that's just not maintainable. I mean, you mentioned their defense. They're six in defensive rating right now. And the teams they beat, the teams they beat seventh, or I have six, oh, seventh through right. The teams they've beaten right now are not any, you know, slouches. They beat the Celtics. They beat the Rockets. They beat the Pelicans. And we know that the Knicks this year are a different New York Knicks team. So they've beaten, <laughs> some, they've beaten some good teams. And you, their next five games are against the Suns the Kings, the Trailblazers, and the Suns. So, you know, are they going to start to slow down when they face the Suns or maybe the Trailblazers or the Kings? You know, it's possible. Then after that, they face the Clippers and the Mavericks. So the stretch of games that they have coming up is going to be difficult. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of see if they're going to – how good of a team they're going to be. But at the end of the day, you know, I think you're right. Nate Bjorkman has done a great job. Nate McMillan – Yes, he led them to the playoffs, but he's gotten swept in his time there. And when you're a coach that, you know, Indiana doesn't have the most talent. We know that. But I think they have enough talent to not get swept. If Orlando can avoid getting get, getting swept and they were one of the bottom seeds, you know, I think Indiana can avoid it as well. So yeah. he's done a great job. Yeah, and like we said, 7th in defensive rating, 11th in offensive rating. So they are – almost a top 10 offense in the league and a top 10 defense. So they're going to be good. And like you said, Indiana is going to play defense. And they're what Toronto was supposed to be in a sense. 
But do or, do we expect Malcolm Brogdon to keep that up for the season? I don't think so. I think we can expect Sabonis and Oladipo to keep it up for most of the season. You know, Sabonis was an all-star last year. Oladipo was an all-star two years ago. I think we expect Miles Turner to keep up his defensive virtuoso for most of the year. Maybe not the four blocks, but he's going to be in the top five in blocks throughout the season. I expect Doug McDermott's three-point percentage to kick it up. It's at 31%. Like Jack said, he is a sniper in this league, so that's going to start getting up. Aaron Holiday, he's a defensive dog. He's a Holiday. He's going to start playing good. We're going to start to see that. Justin Holiday, he's also a sniper. So we're going to start to see that. And when TJ Warren comes back, they're going to be a little bit of a better team because TJ is going to start to get it going. So this is a team that can – I can see them making the second round. Now, do I see them going to the championship? No, because they don't have that – number one guy like Jack said that Katie that Giannis that LeBron but they are a good well-run team where they can get an upset on a Miami Heat team probably that's it maybe a Philly team but I, I like this team going forward and I think they can do some things but these next few games are going to really decide what they're going to be a guy who's been doing some things <laughs> in the league has been Julius Randall, the Randall man, make it rain. That's his nickname, you know, the Randall man. You know, I love, I love putting when I see somebody's emerging to the man, I put the man next to their name. Tannehill, the man of hill, the Randall man. You know, something that rings has a ring to it. He's averaging twenty three points per game, thirteen rebounds, seven assists, forty eight percent from the field, and thirty four percent from three. You know, he has a turnover problem, but that's okay because he has the ball a lot. He's playing about 38 minutes per game along with R.G. Barrett, so they're playing a lot. And, you know, this is why I stick with my gut feeling at all times, and I made a mistake when doing that last year when I bailed on Julius Randle because I let everybody else get to me. Last year before the season, I said Julius Randle is going to be better than Christos Porzingis. No, you said he's better. No, see, Not, he's you said better. He was better. He, I said he's better. Look at the numbers. It's similar. He didn't I, play yet. I thought, I thought that Julius Randle was going to, when he, his first year in the Knicks, I thought we were getting Pelicans Julius Randle. I thought he was going to take, have a tick up in production from that, from that year. If he did that, he'd be doing what he's doing now. I expected him to do what he's doing now last season. But of course, bad coaching goes into play. And Riv, you know, I was looking at the clip when we talked about the Tom Thibodeau hire, and you said that he won't get Julius Randle to play defense. Julius Randle's playing great defense. The whole team is playing great defense. Julius Randle has been amazing. He deserves to have all-star consideration this year. And look, I have to mention the other guys. RG Barrett averaging 17 points per game. And he's on he's shooting with bad efficiency. 38% from the field, shooting like 21% from three, and he's still averaging 17 a game. Alfred Payne is doing his thing, 15 points per game and five assists. He's shooting out of his mind right now. That's not going to stay. But also, you want to know who's the rookie with the highest PER in the NBA right now? Mr. Emmanuel Quickly. Jack Bartek, you said that it's hard to adjust to the speed of the game when you're a guard. And I said, not quickly, man, because quickly is already fast. It's in his name. He's, he's lightning fast. He's the flash. So Emmanuel quickly is like that. And then oh, you saw what Austin Rivers did the other night. You saw what he did it the other <laughs> night. Did you, did you see what Austin Rivers did? Austin Rivers was on fire against the Utah Jazz. I thought I was seeing Duke Austin Rivers. He had a shot from the, he had a shot from the right wing on Rudy Gobert. And I said, that looks like the game-winning shot he hit against North Carolina. 
Austin Rivers is that good. He's that spark plug. He's a leader. He brings leadership. In a postgame interview, they asked him, you've been on bad teams. You know, how does it feel? And Austin Rivers said, I've been on bad teams before, and this is not one. This Knicks team is not one. The Knicks finally have hope. And I'm telling you right now, the New York Knicks are making the playoffs this season. Yeah, we're making the playoffs. We don't even have Alec Burks. We don't even have Obi Toppin. He's still hurt. Emmanuel quickly has even been hurt. When we get all three of these guys back, oh, man, Alec Burks, six-man-of-the-year consideration. He's better than Karis LeVert. I'll take Alec Burks on my team any day over Karis. Then you got all these guys, man. RJ's playing great. Julius Randle, Reggie Bullock with his defense. Mitchell Robinson isn't fouling as much. You know, we just signed Taj Gibson, nice veteran leader. And I just have to give all the credit in the world to Tom Thibodeau. He's changing his culture around. And I said it when we signed him. He's never had a losing season when he was in Chicago. He only had a losing season in his first year in Minnesota and in his last year in Minnesota where he didn't even get to finish off the year. But Tom Thibodeau is a great coach. And once he gets players to buy in, they become great teams. Minnesota never bought in. Andrew Wiggins is lazy. Carl Anthony Towns likes to play Fortnite and video games. But nah, this team, he knows that Randall's a grinder. He knows that RG Barrett's a grinder. This team is full of dogs, hustlers, our coaching staff, Kenny Payne, Mike Woodson. New York Knicks are back on top. We're back on the map. New uh-huh. York forever. That was a great eulogy you just spit out. It was, it was impressive. I'm like, me and Jack were just, oh. <clears throat> No, the Knicks have been playing very impressive, sitting at five and three. And I talked about this before. Tom Thibodeau, you know, I'm a Chicago Bulls fan. We had Tom Thibodeau for a long time. He's gonna make you. He's gonna make his teams play defense. Them teams are gonna play deep. And with this Knicks team, they're eighth in defensive rating. So they're they're on, there's some dogs on defense right now. Now the year just started, but right now sitting at five and three, they are playing great defensively. Alec Burke putting up 20 a game. He's only played three games, but still, nonetheless. That's impressive. Julius Randle is putting up all-star numbers. He should definitely be in the consideration for the MVP right now because he's got this team playing impressive. Like you said, R.J. Barrett, the efficiency is god-awful, but he's still putting up a cool 17. And we talked about it. I, I told you about this. Emmanuel quickly is a guard who played at Kentucky. He played off-ball. He played all-ball. He's a quick guard. He can score in spurts. He's a really good player. You guys were going to love him. I told you that. Quickly is a good guy. To be but, fair, though, I said – I wanted Halle Burton. And if I didn't want Halle, I wanted Payne Pritchard. I could I could have envisioned Payne Pritchard doing similar things. Yeah, no, Payne, I, I knew Payne Pritchard. Like, we, I mean, we, we hit. I mean, I'm talking, though. I didn't interrupt you. Don't interrupt me. Thank you. But let's get into the reality of things. This, I feel like, and I'm going to take this road, is bad for the Knicks. And why I say this is because this free agency coming up, the only big name is Kawhi. The Knicks is a place where Kawhi isn't going to be attracted to. The Big Apple, Madison Square Garden, the lights, the camera, the celebrity attention. Kawhi Leonard isn't a, a, a guy with that character that's going to want to play there. So he's not going to go there. This free agency class, I think the next best guy is Kyle Lowry, maybe John Collins. I mean, you guys drafted Obi Toppin, and then you have Julius Randle. I don't think getting John Collins would make sense for you guys. I think this winning is going to take you out of the lottery, and I think this is a year you need to bank in on lottery. I think you guys should use Randall and Alec Burke as trade assets to get more first-round picks. I think winning is the baddest thing that could be happening for you guys right now, being competitive. No, but winning, just off the simple fact that you're going to possibly make the playoffs to literally do nothing 
and it's not going to work because next free agency is not that good. I think this is a bad thing for the Knicks. But nonetheless, you guys are playing good, so I have to give you props for that. Good job, New York. I don't know if you want to respond to that before I go. Yeah, I'll respond to it. What you just said is ridiculous, and that's not out of the realm for you. You tend to say a lot of things that are ridiculous. <laughs> just just look back at the next video when we talked about Tom Thibodeau's hiring. You said a lot of hoobla in that video. You said a lot of things that didn't make sense. You say a lot of things in that video that you look back now, and you know you probably wish you would have taken back. And this is something you're going to take back, too, because the best thing to do at all times is win. You're not in it to lose. You're in it to win at all times. And, you know, we could bank on the lottery, but I'd rather bank on the development of my young stars and players. You know, R.J. Barrett still has all-star potential. He's still probably, I think he's going to be that. So him developing, that's the best thing. How do you develop these players? By winning. And also, you mentioned Kawhi. This is the last response I have to you. Why wouldn't Kawhi want to come to New York? When he was asking for a trade out of San Antonio, the Knicks were on his list. So he does, he he does have interest in New York. He's always want to build, he's always wanted to build his brand. If things don't want, work out with the Clippers this season, he didn't sign an extension. Paul George did. The Knicks, if we're good, he'll probably go to the Knicks. I'm telling um, you. Jack, before you go, I just want to respond to that. He didn't sign the extension because he wants more money. He declined that to get more money. And his decision, when he said he didn't just sign an extension, he said. That doesn't mean I'm not staying in Los Angeles. I seriously doubt. That doesn't mean he's staying. Okay, but that doesn't mean he's going to run to the Knicks. I I just, I don't think right now the personality of Kawhi would transition him to New York. So why did he ask, so why did he have the Knicks as a team? That was, no, he probably did in San Antonio. You're probably right. Three, four years ago. I'm talking about Kawhi now. I just don't feel like. Kawhi now. What's the difference between Kawhi now and Kawhi then? Well, Kawhi now, if, if he, if he really. Kawhi now would have probably went to the Lakers, if anything. I just don't think the star power of the Knicks. I don't think you guys have enough to lure Kawhi to New York. I just think Julius Randle is going to play this this great for the rest of the season. I think this is an eight-game sample size. He's not going to be this great. I don't think Alec Burke is going to be this great. I think R.J. Barrett is averaging 17 points, but he's shooting 41% from the – like, he's not – his efficiency is pretty garbage. If, so anything, I, it's gonna, if anything, R.J.'s efficiency is going to go up. It's not going to stay this way. No record – no, we have no evidence to show that his efficiency – I mean, last year it wasn't this bad. So, yeah, we do last have year to show. Was, Okay, well, let's let Jack go. Let's Last Jack year, he didn't go. shoot. He shot low 30s, not 21%. Right now, he's shooting 21% from the three. From the three, but he's shooting 38% from the field. He was yeah, close to that. last year, he wasn't shooting 38% from the field. Last year? I'm going to tell you right now. He was shooting. He was literally shooting 40%. That's 2% his points up. That ain't, he's taking. That, he's taking. He's, he's shooting. He's, that, taking, he's, he's gotten more responsibility. He's shooting worse. He's taking more threes, though. That's the thing. And he's when got he more making it, shooting worse. Yeah, but he's not going to stay at that low of a, low of an efficiency for the whole season. And we'll we, see. We, we, we could bet on it. You know, I'll bet on it with you. I know you. Did you bet on the Knicks winning what thirty games last year and it didn't pan out for you? The season didn't finish. <laughs> they were going to win thirty. One question I'll ask you about that: You said that he's shooting more threes and his efficiency is going down, which is all fine and good, but. That's actually I mean, a lot. He's got, he's, got, he's got to learn how to shoot the three ball at some point in his career if he wants to be the player that we expect him to be. I mean, he's an on-and-off player with the three. We all knew that that was he was going to be. But when you watch the games, when you watch the Knicks games, I don't know if you watch the Knicks games, or if you're probably watching the Bulls, I feel bad for you because the Knicks are better than the Bulls right now. Mm. R.J. Barrett, you know, I'd rather him take those shots because he has to get better at them. And there are games where he goes hot and he makes a couple in a row. 
You know, he had a shooting slump where he missed 21 straight. Then the next game, right off the bat in the first quarter, he gets the, he gets the ball, he shoots a three, he makes it. So, I mean, this is a guy who's going to be a streaky shooter, but you got to have confidence. He, he's averaging 17 points per game on horrendous efficiency. If that efficiency is a little bit better, he's averaging 20 a game. You know what I'm saying? So he's only 21 years old. I think he's, I think he's 20, actually. He's, 20, only, 20, 20, he's 20. only 20 years old. So, to, 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 you know, he can be a star player in this league, not only on the offensive end, but as a defender. He's playing great defensively right now. I, I agree with you on that point, but, like, what I'm saying is we can say the efficiency is going to get better, but eventually it has to get better. Like, we've been saying this now. We said it all last year. Eventually it would get better. And now we've been saying coming into this year his efficiency would get better. And I do think he has star potential. I think he has superstar potential. When you watch him on certain nights, you can see it. I think opening night he was like six for six from three, if I'm not mistaken. He had a great game, and he literally looks like a superstar when he's playing at his best. But is he going to take that step and become that efficient player that we say he's going to turn into? That's one of my biggest questions for the Knicks moving forward. But, you know, after everything you said, a lot of what you said, I agree with. I think that you, you know, framed it in a, in a little bit of a frivolous way. But I agree with a lot of what you said. And I said this to Riv last night on Twitter. This team reminds me of the 2018 Nets where they brought in D'Angelo. Well, they were a year removed for bringing in D'Angelo Russell. And it was almost like uh, like an island of misfit toys, for lack of a better word to say. You know, everybody's cast offs. Julius Randle was cast off by the Pelicans. You know, R.J. Barrett was passed up by John Morant and Zion Williamson. People forgot about him. You know, whatever. Alec Burks, Alfred Payton. The list can go on and on, but it's not a, it's not a team of guys that, you know, everybody in the league knows their name, but what Tom Thibodeau has come in and done is tremendous. You can just see the, the mentality with this team is different. The vibe around this team is different. And I attribute that to Tom Thibodeau. He's got him in there working hard and most importantly, playing great defense. And that's what has, you know, that's what I attribute this great start to is the, the start that Tom Thibodeau has had with this team, what he's gotten out of these players, getting the most out of all of his players and, He's a perfect match with Julius Randle, who I think Julius Randle can be a very hard worker, but he needs that push. And Tom Thibodeau has come in and given him that push. And that has, you know, equated to him having such a great start. I don't know if it, you know, this level is attainable throughout the, the entire rest of the regular season, but I think this is the kind of player he can be contributing all different types of ways, scoring the basketball, rebounding the ball, passing, you know, distributing, and I expected this, like you said, Joel, from him last year, and he didn't do it. I was disappointed. I said last year I thought the Knicks could have been a playoff team because of a couple of their veteran signings, and everybody underperformed. Now this year, everybody is overperforming, I would say. But, you know, I, I think that they'll be a playoff team. I don't think that's a crazy thing to say, especially with the playing game. I think they'll at least get in a playing game from what we've seen out of the Eastern Conference this season. But – like Riff said, I do think it's unfortunate that next year the only really big free agent is Kawhi Leonard because when you look at what the Nets did in 2018, they created that culture and it made free agents want to come to Brooklyn. I think the Knicks are doing that same thing, creating that culture, but now instead of having that one-year turnaround, I think it'll have to be a two-year turnaround where, I, if I'm not mistaken, two years from now is going to be another big free agent class. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what direction they go in, but 
you know, I, I've been impressed with them this season. I think they're playing great basketball, and I do think they could be a playoff team. I mean, regardless, we'll have money next year and the year after. You know, the difference between one, I, I have the problem with what you said. I don't, I don't ever want to, comp- I don't ever want to hear you mention the Nets and the Knicks in the same sentence. The Nets don't belong here. They have zero championships. Your star player is not even showing up right now. So I don't even want, I don't want to hear none of that. The Knicks so on the, Kyrie Irving. I don't want to hear none of that. Look, the Knicks have grit. I'll, I'll just and, say this. It's so, you, it's, it's, you so, got- it's so funny. It's so funny. What I want to tell you is this. It's so funny. The Nets are championship contenders. Nobody cares. <laughs> you don't care. Nobody you don't care. <laughs> yeah. you don't care the, the Knicks, the Knicks are just starting to win. And it seems like it seems yeah. like life is starting to come into the building. Life is coming to New York. When Brooklyn is there, man, nobody cares, man. Brooklyn could do what they do. Earth to Joel. Hold on. No, 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 no. Listen. Nobody no, no, cares, man. No, Everybody no, loves no. it. No, listen, listen. Because I, I'm going to give you a reality check right now. You think that way because you are in a Knicks sound box. All you hear is Knicks. So that is what you understand. The world, But cares. everybody around the country cares about the Nets. The Nets are playing the, one of the top national TV games in the country because people care about the Nets right now because the Nets are a better team. So let's no, get guys, that straight. You guys are a better team, but I guarantee you if we make a Knicks and Nets video – that Knicks video would get way more views because uh, people are generally interested in the Knicks more. You there's there's you don't you don't see anybody making stuff about the Nets all the time, man. You know you're in that bubble. You don't of Nets because Twitter. you are. A I'm in Knicks I'm in Nets Twitter. I, I see Nets Twitter all the time. It's a very dull, boring place. I, I'd rather see oh paint gosh. dry. You know Knicks is like being on a the, being 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 in the Knicks fan base is like being on a roller coaster. You got the highs, you got the lows, but it's always fun. It's always fun. With the Nets, man, I don't know, man. It's not fun at all. If I'm being a, a Nick fan is what you make it sound like, I am glad I am not a Nick fan because some of the times when you were talking about the Knicks, you sound out of your mind. Look, I'm just saying the Knicks have a great chance to make the playoffs this year. And you guys talk – well, when you guys say Kawhi is the biggest free agent, yeah, Kawhi is one of the best players in the NBA. Him, him being at the top of the class says a lot. You know, maybe – outside of everybody else is not that big, but you know, I'm not even counting on us getting Kawhi. I just want us to be a good team. I don't care how that is. We got Emmanuel quickly with a, with a 20th pick in the draft, not the 20th exact, but you know what I'm talking about. If we draft well, we can do well. I mean, the teams that draft the best tend to be the teams that succeed. So I'm not really, I'm not really all in and just trying to lose so we get a top player, especially with how unpredictable the draft lottery has been. I'm just not that type of guy. But, but I, I just want to finish it off with saying, man, you know, I know you rep your Nets. You're wearing, you're wearing uh, red and blue right now. You're trying to put your. I'm wearing old, an All Star sweatshirt. It has the, nothing to do with the Nets. The old Nets colors when they were in Jersey. But the bottom line is that, you know, you know, you can't even deny it. People love the Knicks more. Pe- People would rather have the Knicks succeed than the Nets. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. I actually want to touch down on R.J. Barrett's efficiency because I did not know this. Um, field goal percentage by distance. You guys know what that means, right? Right, so here we go. Two-pointers, he's actually improved this year by 2%. Zero to three feet, he's actually improved. But three to 10, he's improved a little bit. But 10 to 16, he's declined. 16 to the three-point line, he's improved. But the corner threes, he shoots a 43% clip in corner three. So he's more of a corner three shooter. 
than anything. I don't think he's a top of the key shooting. He's more of a corner three. Joel, you honestly believe that these Knicks are going to do this outlandish, like these players are going to keep putting up these outlandish numbers. So I'm going to challenge you, you on that. What do you mean outlandish numbers? Oh, Zach, Julius Randle's not putting up a smooth 23, 11, and 7 for the rest of the year. You do he's, know that, right? Julius Randle can average 23 for the entire year. No, 23, yeah, but he's not putting up a 23, 11, and 7. So if he's not putting, if he's not getting 11 rebounds, how many rebounds is he going to get? I'll give him a calm 8. 8, you know that in with the Pelicans, he averaged 10, right? I'm pretty yeah. sure he averaged around 10. I mean, I could see him dropping to like 23, 10, and 5. That's still good enough for me to be an all-star. I don't think he. I don't think he's going to keep up that for the season. But yeah. if he does, well, yeah, that's you know. But if he does, you know, that's this, wrong. this is this is going to be interesting to see because the Knicks got a lot of guys who are just playing out of their minds right now. So we're going to definitely see how this season goes. But you have to make in the playoffs. You said you're a playoff team. That's what you said. They will make the playoffs. So this is on January eighth, twenty twenty one, at seven twenty six. You said that the Knicks are going to make. You're not going to flip. You're not going to take New York it back. Knicks will make the playoffs. Okay, this is this is something you're going to switch in two days. Now this is going to be no, something no, no. Easy. Trust me, the Knicks will make the playoffs. Okay, let me ask Jack you something. Okay, let, let me ask you something because you now I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about your future because I'm gonna hit on a couple things you said. One thing you said is that you're counting on the team drafting well, but what would give you the idea that the Knicks are going to draft well because their draft history has not been very good the past few years. Leon Rose, <laughs> he's been he's been good. I mean, just this draft, I think what Leon Rose has done so far, one, not give a contract out to just anybody. That was the most important thing that he did. And also, we got Obi Toppin. You know, you I know you were very high on him in the draft. You know, I'm not as high on Obi, but then you got Emmanuel Quickly. You got two solid players. So, you know, I trust that process. You know, I just trust Leon Rose in the direction that he's going in, and I trust Tom Thibodeau as well. And another question that I had to ask you, because one thing you actually just said is they didn't throw out crazy money this offseason just to throw money around. If Julius Randle maintains these numbers that he's putting up this offseason, he's going to get a huge contract from somebody. Do you want that to be the Knicks? Because personally, I don't think he's going to be worth the money he gets this offseason. I don't think it makes sense for the Knicks to bring him back. But I don't know. You're speaking highly of him. What do you think about that situation? That's why, like, I don't know. I feel like they're in a weird spot here First of this offseason. I think Kawhi's going back to L.A., and this free agency is going to be pretty dry beyond that. So do you think they're going to go out and use all that money they have to give Julius Randle a big-time contract? First of all, you're wrong. He's not. He's on a team option for the third year, which means we can sign him back. He's not a restricted free agent. So if a team, a, a team can't give him a max offer that we no. have to match, we can just pick up his option for the third year. And then I think that's the safest route to go, just picking up his option. If he keeps playing like this, why not pick up his option? We don't have to give him a, a full, you know, multi-year contract. We can just pick up his option and go from there. Okay, fair enough. No, he's right. So 19 mil for 2021-2022 is an option. Yep. And then he's an unrestricted free agency, free agent 2022. That's when Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie, Jimmy Butler – that's Bradley Bill. That's when the big one, everybody jumps in there. So it's let's see. He, you, Jack, you heard him. January eighth, seven twenty six. He said the Knicks are going to be the playoff team. He said he's not going to flip his pick. You heard it. So right now, obviously, the new sleigh of rookies have come into the NBA. Some of them, some have been impressive. Some have not been that impressive so far. 
this segment is about which rookie has been the most impressive in your opinion. And I'm just going to start first, and I'm going to say, for me, it's Tyrese Halliburton. Tyrese Halliburton, for me, has been the most impressive rookie so far. I wanted the Knicks to draft him. We all knew on draft day that it was a steal for him to go to the Kings. I thought Phoenix should have drafted him because then they would have had a point guard of the future and a point guard coming off the bench to, to, to you know contribute and learn from CP3. That would have been the best case scenario for the Phoenix Suns future and for Halle Burton as a player as well. But obviously, he went to the Kings. And I mean, when De'Aaron Fox went down against Chicago, Halle Burton dropped 17, seven rebounds, six assists, three steals. He's an all-around player. But what I like about Halle Burton the most is that most of the good things that he does does not show up in the box score. I mean, he makes winning plays. He dodges for loose balls. He always makes the right pass. He knows where to be. He's poised. He has great IQ, great defensive awareness, great playmaking ability. And I think his coming out party, not only to me, but to a lot of people, was against Denver. He dropped eight points and five assists against Denver. He had a three-pointer, which was clutch. Then he hit this three-pointer that was close to the logo against Denver and everybody was like wow this kid is really good but you know he's been this good for a while since the start of the season he's been playing steady and the biggest question mark people had about him was his jump shot and his jump shot has transitioned Halle Burton is is a poised pro and I think he's going to be great and I can't believe the Suns and even my Knicks passed up on Tommy's Halle Burton yeah, I have two teams and the first or two players, I should say. And the first of my two players, like you just mentioned, is Tyrese Halliburton. We were both high on him on draft night, I know. And I was surprised that a bunch of teams passed up on him. I thought he could have been a top five pick. I definitely didn't think he would fall out of the top 10. He was incredible at Iowa State last year. I watched him multiple times against Seton Hall. And you could just see this kid was an NBA talent. And he's shown it in Sacramento this year. And you're talking about a guy who's sharing the guard spot with De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald. That's two really good NBA-level guards. And, you know, not only is he sharing the minutes, he's sharing the shots. Those are two high-volume scorers at the one and two. But he's come in, he's averaged about 12 points, five rebounds, three assists on really great efficiency, 51% from the field, 48% from three. And like you mentioned, a lot of stuff that doesn't show up in the box score. He's playing really good defense. He's hitting big-time shots. He seems really poised and ready to play at this level. And he's come in and immediately impacted a Kings team that has overperformed. They're playing great basketball. They've been my favorite team to watch this season on League Pass. But, you know, I I think he's going to be a really good pro. Although they have that guard spot kind of figured out in Sacramento, I think it was a great pick because I think he's, he's going to be the steal of this draft. People are going to look back at this draft and say, how did he fall as far as he did? And I think eventually they're going to move on from Buddy Heald. And then I think a backcourt of De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton can not only work, but be a nightmare matchup for opposing guards for years to come. I know they locked up De'Aaron Fox this offseason, so it'll be a lot of fun to watch them grow together over the next couple of years. And also, they're talking about shipping out Marvin Bagley. There was a lot of talk from his dad on Twitter, and then De'Aaron Fox's dad responded to him. So if that situation you know, ends up happening. Marvin Bagley gets shipped out. That's another asset you bring in and they could really start to move along with a, maybe not a rebuild, but a retool. I think they got some good pieces there. So it'll be interesting to see how they turn things around there, but he's been super impressive. And my other guy's Peyton Pritchard for a, a lot of the same reasons to a lesser extent, 
coming in and playing a role that, you know, he, he might not have if Kemba Walker had been healthy to start the season. He's shown that he is ready to play at the NBA level. You know, I was saying it before, the game speeds up so much. He, he can handle it. And although his numbers haven't been great, his impact has been huge on this Celtics team. He's come in, handled the ball for them, which has been really big, played in big spots. He, he had a game winner the other night on a putback, which was big for them. And, and he's just handled it well in a guard position that has been so important for the Celtics with the loss of Kemba Walker. I think he fell so much further than, than he should have. He was a great player at Oregon, a winner, a leader, and he's shown that with the Celtics that he's taking all of those traits with him. So I got uh, I got two picks. Obviously, I'm going with number one, James Wiseman, bro. This guy has been so impressive. And for a guy who only played, what, two or three basketball games, this guy looks as good as ever. People said he wasn't able to step out and hit the jump shot. You've seen it. He can hit the jump shot. He can hit the mid-range. He can hit the three defensively. You can, you can see – that he can be that rim protector. He he can also switch out and guard the perimeter a little bit. And this guy is a mobile big that can run on both ends. I like James Wiseman for the future. And sitting there with Draymond Green behind him, mentoring him, a defensive guru, one of the best defenders of our generation, is going to be great. Not to mention he's playing with the best point guard of our time, Steph Curry. So that's also going to help him in that case. So it's just he has a bright future. I, I love it. As a, as a Steph Curry fan, I love it because he's going to benefit Steph. My other guy is an under-the-radar guy. This is a guy I was high on, Peyton Pritchard. I feel like with the Kemba injury, this guy stepped in, and he's been that key guy for them winning. He does, like like Joel said with Tyrese Halliburton, he does the things that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. You know, he plays defense. He's a guy that makes the right pass, the extra pass, not the assist, but that pass to get that assist. He's a guy who can run the pick and roll, who can shoot the ball, who plays the other. Even though he's only six feet, he can play D. He can run an offense, and he's clutch. He has that it factor and the intangibles that is keeping Boston afloat. And they know when Kemba comes back, this guy is still going to need some minutes. Because when Kemba sits down, Peyton Pritchard can come in and nothing will change because he can run an offense. So that, that would be my two guys. So since you're since both of you are picking two guys, I think it just makes sense that I pick two guys as well. I picked one. My pick was Tyrese Halley Burton. I can't believe you guys missed out on this guy. I really can't. I'm really shocked. It's especially since you put Peyton Pritchard over this guy. It's really baffling me. Pritchard has been impressive. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. But LaMelo Ball, LaMelo Ball has been phenomenal, especially after these couple games. I mean, I got the stats right here. LaMelo Ball in his last five games, 22 points, 15 points, 13 points, 12 points, 16 points. Eight rebounds, three rebounds, four rebounds, seven rebounds, eight rebounds, five assists, six assists, five assists, nine assists, five assists. I mean, this guy right now is also getting it done on the defensive end. Like LaMelo Ball has, when you watch him play, it's effortless. The impact he has on the game, and now he's starting to shoot better. His three starting to fall. This guy has been phenomenal, and I agree, James Wiseman has been good. And I'm not mad at your Peyton Pritchard picks, but to have him over Lamelo Ball, oh. um, I, I, to, he, to say to say that Peyton Pritchard is, but to let, say let, that, but to say that Peyton Pritchard has been more impressive than Lamelo Ball, this let is me, let me more impressive. Let hold me on, respond. hold on, I want to say this. I want to say he's most impressive because we expect that from Lamelo. We exactly. expected Lamelo to come out and no. play that way. We did not expect. We expected Peyton Pritchard to honestly be on the G League roster or just be sitting at the bottom. I of the- didn't. I didn't. But but okay. I'll say this. But I but I'll say this. I'll say this. 
the question was not which rookie exceeded your expectations. The question was which rookie has been more impressive. Yeah. So well, that's, I'll, I'll say this: I'll say away this. all expectations and top picks aside, because no, okay, go so so you were so since Wiseman was the third pick, he shouldn't be your pick because he was no, expected to do what he's doing. It's different because Wiseman played two basket. It's like the two thing. Well, Wiseman played two basketball and was a year removed. We didn't know how he was going. He didn't even play and he didn't even practice in training camp. Lamelo, I it's not that throw away the expectations. I'm not impressed because I this is what I knew what was going to happen. He's a great player. I'm most impressed by Payne Pritchard because I didn't see that this was going to happen. And he's impressed me because of the way he's playing. He's stepped into a playoff team, a, a championship caliber team. And he has, they haven't lost a step. That's championship what's most caliber team. The Boston I, I would say their expectation is to win a championship this year. But yeah. my, what I'm saying is not only did I expect this out of Lamelo ball, but he wasn't this out of the gate. He's been playing better as of late, but he struggled in the first few games, finding his footing first, like three. Yes. Which is half the season at this point. So, you know, he struggled a little bit to start the year. He's starting to figure it out now. And he had those expectations of a number one pick. We all knew he was going to do this. Peyton Pritchard has stepped in on a better team, you know, like Riff said, a championship caliber team and has made them better. And he's exceeded people's expectations. That's why I've been more impressed by what Peyton Pritchard has done than LaMelo Ball. It's not to say LaMelo Ball hasn't been playing well. I think he's been playing great. I've been impressed with a bunch of rookies in this class, but I've been more impressed by Peyton Pritchard because of the impact that he's had on a much better team. I'm going to send you some LaMelo Ball tape today, man. I've been watching LaMelo Ball. I watched a condensed version of every game, and I watched him in, in normal games three or four times. He's looked great. But he didn't look great to start the season, and now he's playing up to what we expected him to be, but not at the beginning of the season. So, so I'm not this, as impressed as so you. Before, so before the segment is over, who are you most impressed with, expectations aside, or who has been more impressive, LaMelo Ball or Peyton Pritchard? LaMelo Ball has been better. Peyton Pritchard has been more impressive. What the hell is the difference? Say that again? You said LaMelo Ball has been better. Peyton Pritchard has been more impressive. I think the better player is the guy who's been more impressive. I don't think that's always the case. Okay, okay, wait. So, wait, let me ask you this. Who's better, Kawhi or Julius Randle? Kawhi. Kawhi. Who's been more impressive? Who's been more impressive? Kawhi has been impressive. More no, impressive. he has not been. Throughout his career, he's been yeah, more you, impressive. Yeah, I get him. You see, I get him, Jack. You think you think you think Julius right Randle has been more impressive than Kawhi? No, right now, like this season, right now, who's been more impressive? If Kawhi has been impressive, especially after getting that elbow injury, he's been playing at a superstar level. But who? Okay, yeah. And regardless, even if even if you use that, even if you were to use that as an example, Riv, which it was a bad example, you're talking about a guy who's a proven superstar in Finals MVP versus a guy that we're talking about that they're just rookies. You, you just know, said even 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 though they were drafted high, when you come into the NBA. You know, it's much different. So even even if he's a third overall pick, if he's playing better, I think he's been more impressive. It's not it's not just about the draft selection though. Like we we were all in agreement that Lamelo Ball was going to have a great rookie year. He played professional basketball last year though at a lower level. You know, we expected this out of him, and the Hornets have not been as good as the Celtics. I just think that Peyton Pritchard's uh, his his uh, what do you call it? His impact on a Celtics team that is playing good basketball, winning, and going to be a top team in the Eastern Conference has impressed me more than what LaMelo Ball has done, even though LaMelo Ball might be playing better overall. All right, we'll just agree to disagree. 
because I think LaMelo Ball has been the guy. And since you guys didn't pick him, I wish I would have picked the number one because I, I feel like the guy's been disrespected on this segment. But we're going to talk about the Portland Trailblazers next. The Portland Trailblazers, I mean, I know me and Jack, Jack and I, I don't know if Jack, you did, but I know we had high expectations for the Blazers coming into the year as we had them as high as a third seed. I mean, they're not playing bad right now, but what they're batting right now is is their defense. They're 25th in opponent's points per game. They're 24th in defensive rating. And we're starting to wonder whether, you know, this team is going to be that good this upcoming season. And to be honest, I feel like, the problem with them, of course, is not their offense. They're one of the best and most electric offenses in the NBA. But I think the idea of Robert Covington is better than the player. And I say that when I say, when you think about Robert Covington, the, the casual fan thinks that he's a really great defender, elite-level defender, um, and he's this pest. He can shut people down. But that's not the case. They also think that he's a knockdown shooter, but that's not the case. I mean, last year when he went to Houston, I'm a Houston Rockets fan. So when I watch the Rockets in the regular season and throughout the playoffs, Robert Covington is not a good on-ball defender. And Portland Trailblazers fans are starting to realize that right now. He cannot guard faster players. He gets blown by by guards a lot of the time. I saw that in the playoffs. He couldn't even guard Dennis Schroeder for a minute. And they actually, like, Robert Covington gets targeted on defense. He's a great off-ball defender. He's a, he's a team defender. There's nothing wrong with that. But in terms of being that defensive stopper that he's had the reputation of having, he's not that player. And right now, he's shooting 32% from three. So he's not knocking down threes at an average clip. And Derek Jones Jr., he's a good defender, but he's knocking down threes at a 28% clip. So I think right now, these two guys are holding them back. And they're making me question whether the Portland Trailblazers are actually as good as I thought they were going to be. I still think they're missing that one more piece because I, I don't think Covington nor Derrick Jones Jr. are consistent enough to be that. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and I'll say, I'll be the first one to admit it. I said that they were going to be a top three seed this year. You know, I thought that they had brought in some good talent. You hit on it. I think the biggest problem has been, uh, well, I don't think, it's obviously been the defense. Robert Covington and Derrick Jones Jr., essentially they do the same thing. So having them next to each other at the three and the four, not shooting the ball efficiently, it's really hurting them. And what's hurting them even more is what they're doing off the bench. And this is where I start to question Terry Stotts, who I have been on record saying is a great head coach, but some of his decisions this year have been questionable at best. And you look at their top two guys off the bench. It's Carmelo Anthony and Enos Cantor. Both of them great offensive players, but they're two of the worst defensive players in the league. They're the first two guys off the bench, meaning they play a lot together. And in their 99 minutes together, they have a net a net rating defensively of negative 17.6. It's killing them off the bench. And that's having guys like Gary Trent and Harry Giles not playing as many minutes. Those two guys are great defenders. Gary Trent was awesome for them in the bubble last season. And I don't think he's getting enough minutes this year. I think he should play a better role because or a bigger role because he's better defensively would help out in one of their weaknesses but you look at this team like automatically having Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum it's great offensively but on the defensive end it's cripplingly bad and, and it becomes apparent every year in the playoffs they just can't defend when they play against elite level guards 
and you're going to face an elite level guard almost every night in the NBA. Like they're great guards on every team in the league and they just can't defend at the guard position. You said it, Robert Covington can't do it. Derek Jones can't do it. Neither of their point guards can do it. So who's going to do it? It was Gary Trent for some points in the bubble last year, but he's not starting. He's only getting about 20 minutes a game. So where's that defense going to come from? I, I don't see where the, where the troops are coming from to help him out either. I know Damian Lillard, supposedly had had thrown the name of Draymond Green in the hat. But even if they went out and traded for Draymond Green, which would never happen, how much is that going to help? You're just adding essentially, uh, you know, a maybe more versatile, but a similar player to Robert Covington and Derek Jones. He'll be a, a nice off-ball defender. I don't think he's a great guard on-ball defender. So I don't, I don't think that's helping their main problem. But defensively, they are just crippled right now. I thought it would improve this year, but – I, they're going to have to make a trade at some point for a defensive guard because they don't have defense at all at the guard position and, and stacking Derek Jones and Robert Covington in the starting group. I would rather start Carmelo at the three and start one of Covington and Derek Jones Jr. at the four and have one of those guys coming off the bench, stagger your terrible defenders coming off the bench and maybe it'll help out somewhat, but the rotations have been questionable. And, and honestly, you know, who's going to come and save the day? Nasir Little, he's been terrible in the time that we've seen him. So I, I just don't know where the help is going to come defensively. You know, this is a team, and Portland's a This is a team we were really high on in the offseason. We were talking about this team could possibly be a top three, four team in the West. We were talking about this team could possibly make a WCF run. And they're sitting at 4-4 four four right now as Dame – People aren't talking about it, but Dame has been kind of a little bit underwhelming. And I know Steph is going to get a lot of the hoopla and the this, that, Kenny Carey, Kenny Carey. But these two teams split a meeting, and Dame has, hasn't been the Dame we thought, the MVP-type player we thought to start the season. And this team, I think it needs another piece. But I think also, and this is going to be maybe a little bit of a stretch, I think it needs a different number two guy. I think CJ is not a good enough player to be the second best player in the championship team. That's just my opinion. I don't know. I think Nurkic is a nice three. You know, he can be the third piece to a championship team. But I think what the problem is, they have two guys who are number threes on a championship caliber team in Nurkic and CJ McCollum. And right now, CJ is riding the second. So it, it's going to be tricky. I mean, you look at the team on paper, they look phenomenal. They have the wings that can guard one through four. They have the guards that can score with the best of them in the league. And they have a big man who's supposed to be this rim protector, who's supposed to be this guy that's inside and outside. When he's on the court, he's allowing a defensive rating of 111. So I don't know, that's 20th in the league among centers, among active centers. So I don't know, I guess they haven't gotten, you know, like I said, training camp wasn't a lot. They didn't have a lot of training camp. So they're still working the kinks. It's still early, but this team hasn't lived up to the expectations early like we wanted to. I still think they need, maybe we look at Dame as maybe a glorified one. Maybe he needs to be the number two guy on a championship team. I don't know. But when we look at the history of the league, how many point guards have been the best player on the championship team? One guy since 2010, one guy, it's been Steph Curry. And he he didn't even win finals MVP. The catalyst of a championship team has been a wing. And this team just doesn't have that elite or even all-star wing to compliment their backcourt. You know, I think... Did you just my, pick up the mic? Yeah. I think <laughs> my my starting lineup, I'd have Trent at, at the three, and I'd have Covington at the four. That's what I'd do. And, of course, Nurkic at the five. 
with Dame and CJ at the one and two. Um, obviously, a trade for Draymond would never happen, but I do think Draymond, he, he would make any team better because it's not, you know, we look at Draymond in the box sto- score and stuff like that, and, of course, it's not very, you know, it's not very impressive. But what's great about him is that he just knows how to put guys in position, you know, pause. But he knows how to put guys in position. He talks. He's a leader <laughs> on the court. He knows what to do. He knows how to get everybody settled. And that's something that Covington and these other guys aren't really, you know, they're they're not as vocal. Draymond's always going to be the most vocal guy on the court. And we've seen, you know, of course, Golden State is playing better because Steph has been going off. But I think Golden State isn't playing better because Draymond came back and he's telling guys, he's telling guys where to be, what position to be. And I think that's what Portland is missing right now. They're missing that vocal leader. And I don't know who that is. Dame is a leader. We know that. But on the defensive end, who's going to be talking? You know, you don't you don't really have nobody like that. I just feel like Portland has a lot of pieces. They have a lot of routes that they can go in with uh, what they want to do with their lineups. But I don't know. I just feel like they're missing one piece. A perfect guy would have been like a Gordon Hayward, you know, that can score and can play defense as well. But of course he got like a a massive contract and you don't want to pay that for Hayward. You know, I I think Portland will still be a very good team. I'm not giving up on them being the third seed because I think they can be that. But I also know that that defense is going to be a problem. Maybe it's communication early on because we know that that happens, but hopefully they get their defense together because right now it's really bad. And, and, Oh, oh, you go for it. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I just I like to piggyback over Joel said. Draymond Green, when he got came back, you just seen the Warriors play defensively. They just looked so much better on defense, and you even see it in the Clippers game. They put up a strong fight, and they played tooth and nail with the Clippers, who are one of the best offensive teams in the league. And I think with Portland, what they're missing, like he said, is that guy that's gonna defensively tell guys where to be, tell guys what to do, this to switch and all that. And I think. When they got Robert Covington, they thought he was going to be that guy. And I, I just don't think he has been that guy. And I don't think he'll ever be that guy because Draymond is a special type of defensive player. And, and I'll say this. You look at – I'll make two points about that backcourt. You look at that backcourt. And, Riv, I agree with you somewhat and somewhat I disagree with you. I think CJ can be the second-best player on a championship team with the right number one, but it would have to be like a LeBron type – that can, that can really take over, do a bunch of different things for you. And he had to be surrounded by good defenders. But when you look at him, he's paired with Dame, who Dame is incredible. He's a top 10 player in basketball, but they do very similar things. Dame does them better, but they do very similar things. They have similar skill sets. Neither of them can defend. So it's just crippling to have the two of them together in the backcourt as good as they are offensively. And I don't, I wouldn't put a, a trade of CJ McCollum outside of the realm of possibility because you're looking at this Trailblazer team, and it, even if they do turn around, I think they can still be a top four, top three seed in the Western Conference just because the regular season, you have a lot of talent, you'll win a bunch of games, you know, they'll work it out. But come playoff time, what are they going to do? Who, who do they compete with in the Western Conference? Like when it comes down to it, they're not going to beat the Lakers. They're not going to beat the Clippers. They're, how are they going to guard the Suns with Devin Booker and Chris Paul? Like, there's just so many matchups that that don't make any sense for them. So I personally think maybe trading CJ McCollum might be the best option for somebody that can play a little bit more defense at the guard spot. And the other point that I want to make is I love Damian Lillard. He's an incredible player. I just said he's a top 10 player in basketball, but 
when you look at the point guard position, Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving, Russell Westbrook are four other or three other guys that I would put in that top four right now at the point guard position. The three of them are always held to a higher standard than Damian Lillard is. Year after year, we've seen the Trailblazers fall short in the playoffs, and he never gets criticized the way a Steph Curry, a Kyrie, or a, Res- or a Russell Westbrook does. And I just think it's interesting. You know, I want to know what you guys think about that. Why are we not criticizing Damian Lillard as much as we criticize other point guards in the league? Um, it's easy. That's an easy answer. And I actually tweeted that last year. During, the, during his run, I've, I've talked about it a lot. It's because people love Dame. And this is, this is the fact about Dame. Dame is good enough to get praised, but he's not great enough to get criticized, if that makes sense. The same reason why we love Devin Booker. Who, who knocks Devin Booker for not making the playoffs? Nobody really cares. We just say he's a great player, but he's not that great of, great of a player where we're like, oh, he's a he's a he's a bum. He sucks because he can't lead a team to the playoffs. Dame is in that he's in a good he's in a good standing because James Harden, you know, he's great enough to where if he doesn't get out the second round, it's a failed season. Russell Westbrook, if he's not amazing every single night, he's a failure. Same thing with Curry. Dame, people love Dame. That that's just the bottom line. He's great in the media. He he, he interacts with fans all the time. So. People love Dame, and he's just not great enough to really get criticized like that on a consistent basis. I mean, Westbrook has been an MVP. Curry has been an MVP. Harden has been an MVP. So they get held to a higher standard. They get held to this standard because they're this player. Dame is like this player, so that's why we don't hold them to that standard. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's a little bit a part of what he said. I mean, I don't know because the media is trying to push this Dame is better than Steph narrative. So that that's like something they've been trying to push for a year or two now. But like like Joel said, it, I, it isn't for the Harden. I can agree, he's not as likable as Dame. So people are, and he's an MVP. Westbrook Westbrook is really not as likable as Dame. But with the Steph thing, Steph interacts with the media. He's probably just as likable as Dame. I think with Steph, like for example, Dame, you see a guy who's one of the best players in a first round series and then just falls off as soon as he leaves the first round, whereas for Steph, he looks great in the first three, and then in the finals, he looks a little troubled. I think with Dame, is just because he's a small-town hero. He's rocked with that team forever. He shows his loyalty to that team forever. So people look at him in a Dirk aspect. Like, we're not going to criticize him because he's a great player. We love Dame. He doesn't look bad on – he doesn't say anything bad to the media. He's a cool guy. So we're not going to really throw all this dirt on him because he, in the end, he's just going to play hard. He's going to play for his city. So I think that that really what it is. But to go back to one of your points, you said Damon, CJ, backcourt, they do the same things. And I think with that, with point guards that don't play defense or with point guards who are poor defensively, like Steph Curry, Kyrie, Westbrook, Dame, let's say those four, right? You need a guy that's going to compliment you on that right hit. Steph Curry is probably the only guy who was blessed because they both came in, got drafted, and they both grew together with Klay Thompson. Two guys who complement each other. All right, I know you're going to guard that best player because you lock up, and I'm going to be able to play, make, and create the offense, and we're just going to gel with each other. Westbrook never really had that because I'm a Harden. Not saying Harden's a bad friend. He's just on a consistent night. He's not going to play that elite defense. And then he had Andre Roberson, but he's horrible offensively. So he's – and then with – 
Kyrie, he never really, he played with LeBron. And then in Boston, he played with Marcus Smart, but it just didn't gel right. So now he has a team. So I think with point guards, they always like in this league now, they need, they're not, this is not the 80s where you had Magic, Isaiah Thomas leading you. No, this is, you need a wing. And with point guards now, you need that complimentary wing that's going to do it all for you because you just don't have the physical attributes or the energy to do all that extra stuff. If that makes sense. Just to finish this segment off, Dirk got heavily criticized before he won that championship. He was heavily criticized. He lost to the We Believe Warriors team when he was the first seed and they were the eighth seed. I don't remember remember him getting too much doubt. He got heavily criticized. And this is what I'm going to say. The reason why people don't like Steph, and this is the reason, is because he always had the better team. That's it. That's really all it is. Not only did he have the better team in 2016 and uh, 2016 mostly, not 2015, but in 2017 and 2018, we know now that everybody kind of doesn't like Kevin Durant because they stacked the deck. And the same thing is said for Curry. It's like Curry had these underwhelming playoffs in 2018 against the Rockets. He was bad in that in that playoff series when they went to seven. Yeah. But the reason why people don't like Steph is because he got bailed out by Durant. Because whenever Curry was not playing that well, it didn't really matter because he got bailed out. But when it and they won. But when it's Dame, when it's these guys like Harden, they they have to play well every single night because they're not getting bailed out by a top player. The only reason people don't like Steph is because he's always had one of the best teams. And you know, no team like Harden, Dame, even a Westbrook. We know they've never had the best team. I also think one other thing, one other point I want to make about this, and it's a reason why I think Dame is loved. And again, I'll preface this by saying I love Dame. I think he's incredible. I have a pair of Dames. He's a great dude. And and I'm not saying I want him to get hated on. I just think other players are unnecessarily hated. But it reminds me of something Kobe said right before he retired, rest in peace. But he said, I want you to hate me because that means that I'm beating you. That means I'm killing you inside. You, you, you hate me because I'm better than you and I'm going to take you down. And, and that's just something that Dame hasn't really done. He's been that lovable loser because he's been so loyal to Portland and that's awesome. And I give him credit for that in a league where everybody's moving around. But, you know, at some point you got to take into consideration, are they going to be able to win in Portland? Is that the best move for his career? Or is he just going to stay there and be the lovable loser that everybody likes because he doesn't beat anybody? So the next team that we're going to talk about right now is a team that they're at the top of the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns. Right now, I mean, they don't have that problem that Portland has. The Phoenix Suns, they're fourth in offensive rating, they're ninth in defensive rating, and they're first in opponents' points per game. So they're the, the first best defense in terms of how many points they allow per game. So their defense is great. I mean, off the bat, we know that Chris Paul made a huge difference to that team. But Mikel Bridges has gotten better. He's he's a perimeter lockdown wing, and he can shoot the ball great. He was a great player at Villanova. People didn't really want to draft him too high because he was a guy that we know who he's going to be, but how, how high of a ceiling does he really have? But he's been great for the Phoenix Suns. He's averaging about 14 points per game. Then you have Cameron Johnson off the bench. And I like this little three-guard lineup that they have sometimes off the bench with Javon Carter, Cameron Payne, and Langston Galloway. I think it gives them a lot of quickness. And you can see kind of the resemblance 
of that um when Chris Paul was in OKC when it was CP3 Schroeder and uh Shea. You know, it's not as as big as a level, but I mean these guys are pretty good off the bench. But in my opinion, this team is legit. They can compete and I think they can go really far in the playoffs. I, I see Western Conference for them. When you look at the three guys that they have on their team that are the best players on our team, DeAndre Aiden, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, what other team has a trio as good as them in terms of as good as Chris Paul at the point guard, as good as Devin Booker at the shooting guard, and as good as DeAndre Aiden at the center? Like, this is a big three, and at probably the most three important positions, at point guard, shooting guard, and center, and they do have that wing in Mikael Bridges who can shut down opposing players. He did a great job against Luka when they faced against Dallas. This team is is for real to me. Um, I'm I'm still on the mend about them. I like them, like you said. I, I do have I do. I'm I'm gonna say this. I I'm gonna step up and say I do believe they're gonna make the playoffs. I think they're a playoff team. I think they've showed that they're gonna be a top team in the West. To say that they can make a Western Conference Finals. I don't know because I still think the Lakers are better than them, and I still think the Clippers are better than them. I think Portland. I don't know. It's it's going to be tricky. It's interesting to see when Dallas gets Porzingis back. I want to see how they're going to look, and with Utah, I want to see how they're going to look moving forward. But I do like this team. I like that Devin Booker has shown that he doesn't have to do too much because this team has about seven to eight scores in double digits. So this he has a lot more help. Chris Paul has brought that energy from OKC here. And like you said, Michael Bridges looks like one of the best perimeter defenders on the wing. So that is something they're going to need when they play the Clippers and they play the Lakers with Paul George and Kawhi. But I, it's interesting because I want to – DeAndre Ayton is a special talent. I like him at center. And against Portland, he's going to be huge. They're going to need him to really step up. But I was watching the Clippers game. I was watching them play the Clippers game, and it was something that was very – that was very – it was something that I didn't see Doc Rivers do, but I seen an adjustment from Tyron Lue. Tyron Lue put out a five-man lineup with Kawhi at the five, Paul George at the four, Lou Will at the one, and he had Pat Bev, and I think he had Nicholas Batumin, right? I watched DeAndre Ayton become unplayable because of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George at the five, getting the switch. DeAndre Ayton was forced to guard one of them, in, in turn causing him to be in foul trouble and getting him out the game. When DeAndre Ayton got out the game, this was when they came back, by the way, when they came back from the 20-point deficit. When DeAndre Ayton came back in the game, came, got out the game, it was over. Paul George took over. Kawhi took over. Nicholas Batum, who's been phenomenal for the Clippers, he hit some big shots. So I was watching that, and it was it was interesting to me because I've noticed when teams go small, DeAndre Ayton obviously becomes unplayable, but then Phoenix doesn't look like themselves, and I feel like that's going to be key for them because, like you said, point guard, shooting guard, their big three is predicated on DeAndre Eaton with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Those are big, big, big additions for them, and they need those three to be on the court. But when a team like the Clippers or if the Lakers go small with AD, how is Eaton going to be out there and how effective is he going to be? That's just going to be my only question. I'm really high on the Suns. I think they're going to be a great team this year, and I think that what we're seeing out of them early is legitimately what they're going to be and Joel mentioned that the reason they've been so good is because of their defense. They've been great offensively, but you go down the list, Mikael Bridges is a great defender. Aiton, great defender. Chris Paul, 
elite, one of the best defending guards in NBA history. Uh, Cameron Payne even is a great defender. Javon Carter, Cam Johnson, Jake Crowder. Like they have a, a real list of great defenders. They're like the anti-trailblazers where almost everybody on the roster can defend. And I think that's going to be a key, not only throughout the regular season, but come playoff time. And it's interesting you said that about the Clippers going small. One of the things I was going to say is DeAndre Ayton gives them the luxury of having a big man to defend elite bigs around the league. You know, not many teams have the, the, the personnel to guard a Nikola Jokic or an Anthony Davis in the post. And that was one of the things that killed the Clippers last year was they couldn't guard Jokic in the post and, and double teaming him is what left shooters wide open and led to the Nuggets coming back from down 3-1. So I think it, it's not only the talent they have, but the personnel they have. Not only are they great defensively, they have a really good big man. Devin Booker is showing that he can perform not only on a bad team, but on a really good Western Conference team too. Chris Paul has been that perfect leader to come in, and it just seems like they're clicking right now. They have the right pieces in place, and I do think they're a, a tough matchup come the playoffs. I think they're definitely going to be a playoff team, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them at least get to the second round, but they're going to be a fun team to watch all year and a tough matchup come playoff time. I mean, yeah, like you said, the Suns look really good so far. And, I mean, the teams that they've beaten are good teams. They beat Dallas. They beat the Pelicans. They beat the Jazz. They beat the Kings, the Nuggets, and the Raptors. Their only two losses have come against the Clippers and the Kings, and they they haven't lost by more than five points. It's been five points or less. So this team has been really good so far. I mean, I think you mentioned DeAndre Ayton. He just has he, – he's not going to be able to be as agile to guard perimeter players, but I think that the Suns can go small. You can put Jay Crowder in there with Cameron Johnson, and they can be your four and five, or you could put, like, maybe Mikael Bridges at the four, Jay Crowder at the five, or Mikael Bridges at the three, Jay Crowder at the five, and Cameron Johnson at the I four. I think, yeah, I think they had uh, Jay at the five. They had Cam at the four and then Michael at the three. So I think they have the personnel to 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 play that way. And it just sucks for me. The only bad thing about Phoenix is that they messed up in the draft. Jalen Smith. They drafted Jalen Smith. We, like I knew that was a bad pick at the time. They should have never drafted Jalen Smith. They could have had Tyrese Halley Burton right now. They could have had Tyrese Halley Burton right now. And I, I know a lot of Phoenix fans are probably hoping or wishing they, they would have drafted and went in that direction. It's funny because I went on Suns Reddit earlier in the year when they actually did make the pick. And I actually did say on Suns Reddit that they're going to regret not taking Tyrese Halley Burton. And my comment got downvoted. People <laughs> on the people on the comments were like, Tyrese Halley Burton isn't going to be good. Point guards don't come out ready regardless. So obviously <laughs> they were wrong. But yeah, people, you know, Jalen Smith was a bad pick at 10. And they should have went with somebody who could probably be more versatile when on the court. Yeah, yeah, no, I, like like I said, I was I was just watching the game and I and I saw them put out that lineup of Chris Paul, Devin Booker, um, Michael Bridges, Cameron Johnson, and um, Jay Crowder, and it just came down to whose best players was going to perform at the end of the game. And Paul George and Kawhi, they just came up a little bit better than Phoenix, so it's gonna like I said, that lineup is going to be interesting. I'm just interested to see how well they're going to be effective without DeAndre Ayton off the court. But like I said, this team can match up with Portland. This team can go toe-to-toe with Dallas. This team can even go toe-to-toe with the Clippers and the Lakers in terms of small ball. Just are their players going to perform when it's bright? Michael Bridges is still young. 
He's never played in the playoff environment. Same thing with Cameron Johnson. And as long as Devin Booker's been here six years, he has never been in a playoff environment. So it's going to be interesting to see. They have Chris Paul there to teach them that and to let them understand that role. But he's the only guy, Jay Crowder too. Those are the only two guys. So it's going to be interesting to see come playoff time. Well, actually, it's going to be interesting if this team doesn't fold and if they can continue this season and make that run. I mean, and they got a good chance to. They're, I think, I don't even have their next couple of games, but as I was watching their next couple of games, they're not. it's not too difficult. It's not too difficult, the next couple of games. They have Detroit right now they're playing. Then they go Indiana, Washington, Atlanta, Golden State, Indiana, Memphis, and Houston until so January that, 20th. I think that's Galloway okay has 17 too. So I think that's an okay schedule. But the next team we're going to talk about is the Houston Rockets. We all know they've been very dysfunctional to start off the year. If Harden's going to stay, if Harden's going to go. And it, right now it's safe to say that Harden is probably going to stay in Houston. And how far can they go if Harden does decide to stay? I'll answer this question first. And first thing I'll say is that if healthy, I think they can make it far in the playoffs, maybe Western Conference Finals, and if everything goes right, just because they have James Harden and if he buys all the way in the finals. But to me, the Rockets just haven't been healthy right now. That's why they don't look so good. Jay Sean Tate, um, Sterling Brown, and David Nwaba have getting have been getting over 20 minutes per game. Ben McLemore has been injured. James Harden has missed a couple games. John Wall missed the first few. Christian Wood has been hurt as of late. So, and I know he's playing tonight. But the thing is, is that when you look at the talent they, that they have, they have a lot of talent. They have Harden, of course, John Wall, Daniel House, Christian Wood, P.J. Tucker, um, Eric Gordon, DeMarcus Cousins, Ben McLemore when he gets back. The two biggest question marks to me are the point guard position, the backup point guard position, because they don't have a backup point guard right now, and I think that hurts them when their bench comes in and their shooting. I mean, right now, they're 28th in three-point percentage, only shooting at a 32.6% clip. And that's because a lot of these players aren't shooting well. John Wall's not shooting well. David is not shooting well. These guys that are coming, even Eric Gordon shooting at 30%, he's not shooting well. And we've seen when you don't surround Harden with lethal shooters and players that can shoot the ball at, a, at an average level, they tend to not go far in the playoffs. Just look last year. Last year, they were 24th in percentage. The year two years ago, they were 12th. They went toe-to-toe with the Warriors. They only took them to six, you know, but then three years ago, they were 14th. They went to seven with the Golden State Warriors. We've seen the strength. If you're a bottom 20 team in terms of shooting a three-point ball at um, whatever percentage you shoot it at, you're not going to be a very good team that has a high ceiling to go very far. You know, the Rockets, I don't know what they do from here. I think if Harding buys all the way in, in order to go far – Players have to start hitting their shots, and it's as simple as that. Listen, I'll start because I told you this, Joel. We had this discussion probably two weeks ago. I told you if James Harden stayed in Houston and bought in fully, they could be a championship team. I like the personnel they have, and you mentioned the poor three-point shooting. I think that's just a small sample size thing. I don't think John Wall is going to improve that clip very much. But a lot of the guys you named, I think, will turn around. Eric Gordon has historically been a good three-point shooter. P.J. Tucker can shoot the three. 
I, I think they have a good enough shooting team. They'll turn it around in a larger sample size. And they have James Harden. I mean, first and foremost, he's the best isolation scorer in the league in basketball, maybe in basketball history in the isolation game. You know, offensively, he's going to carry the weight. And I like the personnel that they have to match up with a team like the Lakers with Christian Wood, P.J. Tucker down low. It could at least give you some pushback against a guy like Anthony Davis, whereas last year, you know, you had to count on P.J. Tucker taking all those minutes on A.D. down low. It was just an impossible situation to put him in. You know, when they played a big man last year, it was going to be a tough matchup because they didn't really have the personnel to match up with that. Christian Wood has been incredible this year. And if he can keep that up, you know, I think they have the right personnel to make a championship run as long as James Harden buys in. It's a big question mark. I haven't heard anything about his situation since probably the beginning of the season. So I don't know, maybe you have an update on that. I don't have any information on that. But if he stays and buys in, I think they can be a championship contending team. I think they'll be on the outside looking in and it'll, it'll be the Lakers and maybe Clippers to lose in the Western conference. But I definitely think they could put up a better fight than last year. Um, I am under the belief that we, we told, and we told you, I'm just, I'm jumping on Jack's bandwagon here. We told you this, that this team, James Harden bought in, this team was good enough where they can make a run in the Western conference. This team has big men now that small ball lineup. I'm glad they got over it. It doesn't work. It's not going to work with AD out there in the West. Now you have Christian Wood out there who you've been calling an all-star guy who's making that jump. He's a guy who's in the most improved player of the year discussion. He's going to be a guy that's going to be talked about a lot. You got PJ Tucker still out there. John Wall, even though he looks like he lost his bounce a little bit, he still has that quick burst and that quick speed. You got him out there. Boogie, he looks okay, even though he's getting limited minutes. And you guys have been healthy. You guys haven't been healthy. Now you're getting everybody back. You guys are a good enough team where Harden buys in and you've seen it in the games he played. If Harden buys in, this team can do damage. This team can beat a lot of teams. I still think that the Clippers and the Lakers are one and two in the West, but I wouldn't be surprised if they do see each other that you can see one of them in the West and make some noise. I think this Rockets team can go far. See, this is why you guys are wrong. I was right because of the reasoning I provided. You guys would have been right if you provided the right reason. I don't think the main reason for them going far is James Harden just buying in. Wait, you do know just because you think it's right doesn't mean it's right, right? Oh, no, I know I'm right. And okay. the, the main problem with the Rockets right now is that they don't shoot the three ball well. You know, right? Eric Gordon, he has not been a good three-point shooter the past couple of years. And Eric Gordon is not a great shooter in general. He's a streaky shooter. He's a scorer. He's not a shooter. That's a difference. When you look at the Rockets roster, they don't have snipers. They don't have knockdown shooters outside of Ben McLemore. And he's such a defensive liability that you can't play him for too much. Daniel House is not a sniper. Eric Gordon is not a sniper. We know that John Wall is not a great three-point shooter. Christian Wood last year was good from three only because he took limited threes. This year so far, he's 27% from three. I count more on his ability to be a great pick and roll partner than on his ability to hit threes. DeMarcus Cousins is not a great three-point shooter. P.J. Tucker, only from the corner, is a great, great three-point shooter. And then you look at their bench, like, okay, who, who's a sniper on this team? P.J. Tucker, Daniel House, Christian Wood, John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Eric Gordon, Ben McLemore. It's just one guy. And Jay Sean Tate, David Nwaba, and Sterling Brown, the only good shooter out of those three 
is Sterling Brown because Jay Sean Tate and Nwaba are very streaky. In a league where the main component to a lot of team success is shooting the ball well, the Rockets don't strive at shooting the ball well. Because of that, they can collapse the defense on hard and they can sag off. You know you're sagging off on John Wall. You don't even have to worry about that shot for the most part unless he's hot one day. You know, so that's their biggest question mark. Last year, they were not a good three-point shooting team. Outside of Trey Young, James Harden was second in most passes that should have been assisted, but players missed shots. So what I'm saying is that... Seed last- hmm? They were fourth seed last year. Okay, but what does that have to do with this? What you else? said they weren't a great three-point shooting team last year, right? That's what you just said. They weren't. They aren't this year, but they can still be a fourth seed again. Okay, but we're talking about like what could what could hold them back. This was going to hold them back. This, this is their problem. You look at 2018 with Chris Paul. They were such a great team because they were a great three-point shooting team. Um, two years ago they were a great team because they were three-point. They were a great three-point shooting team. Last year they took a lot of threes, but they're not a good three-point shooting team. Not even good. Like this team isn't even a good three-point shooting team. Like let alone great. They're a, they're a bad three-point shooting team. They're at the bottom of the league in percentage, percentage, and I don't see it getting better that much. And not to mention Harden is actually shooting great from the three. It's everybody else, you know? So I think, yeah, Harden needs to buy in, but even if he doesn't buy in, he's great enough that he's going to perform it every night regardless. It's just how are those other parts going to fit around him? And I really don't think Steven Silas – to this point, has done anything groundbreaking that I've seen for in, ter- in terms of offensive sets or nothing like that. I mean, they're like 18th in offense right now, so you know he's not 18th. taking he's 18th. he's not ta- he's not taking that first rated in history Dallas offense over here to this team, and mostly because that Dallas team was a great three point shooting team. This Rockets team isn't. I'll say this. When you look at the Lakers last year, who won the championship, they didn't have great three point shooting. Yes, goals. they did. Danny but Green, Danny Green in the is playoffs. Danny sniper. Green in, in the playoffs. Danny Green shot horrible. Jack, Jack, Jack hold up. Inconsistent. No, Rip. let me speak. No, let me Rip. speak. Rip. No, 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 let me speak no, because you just because went. You're, because no, you're, because you're you just went. Wrong. I'm not wrong. wrong. Danny yes, Green did not shoot the ball well Rip. in the playoffs Rip. last year. Rip. Right now, search up the Lakers three point percentage last year. Do it right now. Danny Rockets got benched in the playoffs last year because he did not shoot the ball well. The Rockets are 28th right now. Last year, the Lakers were 21st in three point percentage. That's not good. Especially in the playoffs. In the playoffs, yeah, Danny not, Green did not shoot. The, he shot good. the ball so bad that he was getting benched for Alex Caruso because Alex Caruso was providing more. What I was but, going to say is although they had streaky three-point shooting guards, Frank Vogel did a great job splitting the rotation and finding the hot hand. So I think it will come down to Steven Silas. And if he can figure out the right rotations and hot hands and offensive sets to get the most out of this team offensively, like Frank Vogel did for the Lakers last year, even though their guards were incredibly inconsistent in the playoffs. I want to say this. I want to use Lakers as an excuse as as an example. The Rockets are 23rd in defense. That's what I think you guys need to key in on. I I think even though they're not a good three-point shooting team, it doesn't help that you're not playing defense. And I think, like we said before with the Raptors and the Pacers, if you can play defense, you can negate some of the bad things on your team. For example, three-point shooting. And all you need to do is get it going from the three-point line come playoff time. And I think they have capable shooters on the team. They just have to get it going, get consistent, become and get healthy they haven't been healthy if they become healthy i think they can start to make it work 
but this team hasn't been fully healthy. So they have to, and they have to play defense. Defense is something that you have to play in this league. So I think if they start playing defense and they start becoming that team, that's a defensive minded team, they can start winning games. First of all, the Lakers were bottom 20 in attempts per game at the three. So they were 20 for attempts. You just have okay. But they were 21st in percentage, but the Rockets were first in attempts. So they were bad three point shooting team, but they took a ton, even though they were bad. The Lakers, if we go, if we go a mano to mano, who's a better shooter? When we named the Lakers roster and the Rockets roster last year, I guarantee you the Lakers have better shooters. I'm not talking about who's better shooters. I'm talking about who performed in the playoffs last year. And last year in the playoffs, all of the Lakers guards were inconsistent shooters from the three-point line. So, you know, I agree with you. The Lakers shooters were better. And who was good, though? Anthony Davis shot 38% from three. So he was phenomenal from three. Yeah, lost. You couldn't. Caldwell Pope shot 38% from three. But he was very inconsistent, and he was the one who normally stepped up. Danny Green played bad in the playoffs, and he's continued to play bad in Philadelphia. It's the reason they shipped him out, and Frank Vogel worked around that. They didn't attempt a lot of threes because their guards were not great at shooting threes. Good coaching can work around that. Granted, they have LeBron James. The Rockets have James Harden. Markeith Morris shot 42% from three. Markeith Morris did not play that much. He played (laughs) – he played 18 minutes per game, uh, which I mean, is not a, a lot. And when you got to the to the minutes that Rondo matters, Rondo shot 40 percent from three. Oh, he didn't take many attempts. We can all agree on that. In the one. Houston series, he took a lot. What you guys lost. About? You guys, you know why you didn't lose because they were hitting threes against the Lakers. You do know that, right? Wait, what? I'm saying you didn't lose because you couldn't hit threes against the Lakers. You lost because you had no answer for AD, and that small ball lineup didn't work. I mean, there was a bunch of reasons why they lost. They lost because James Harden was getting trapped and there was no spacing on the floor. That, that was one of the main components why they couldn't get their offense going. But also, Markeith Morris was a main catalyst in that Houston series, and they went small with him. With him starting, they went small. So he did play a big role in that championship. Rondo shot 40%. AD shot 38%. Caldwell Pope shot 38%. LeBron shot 37%. And Danny Green, even though he was inconsistent, he shot 34% from three. Like, these guys weren't shooting bad in the playoffs. They just weren't. Okay, so they saying- were inconsistent three-point shooters in the playoffs. I mean, you go back and watch the tape. Frank Vogel played the hot hands, and that's the reason they were as successful as they were in the playoffs. And I, I get it. The main reason why they were so successful is because they have LeBron and Anthony Davis, but the Rockets still have James Harden, who I said is the best isolation scorer in basketball. With good coaching, you can work around it offensively. The three-pointer is not the only way to win in the NBA. If You, you don't can have still have a good right, offense without shooting the three. If you don't have the right parts around your players, you're not going to win. With Lakers, you can say whatever you want about them, but they had the right parts. They had the defensive versatility to guard any team. Markeith Morris is a good defender. Rajon Rondo was a very good defender. Caldwell Pope is a very good defender. Say what you want about Danny Green, but he's a very good defender, and they all have length, especially when you play LeBron at the one. And a guy who doesn't get credit, Kyle Kuzma played excellent defense in the playoffs last year. and he. I think, I think the Rockets have very good defensive versatility this year. You don't? Who? The Rockets? Ah, this, Who? <laughs> yeah. The Rockets you don't think, have good defensive versatility this they year? They don't. 
P.J. Tucker is an elite-level defender. James Harden, you've said it a million times, so don't disagree with me now. He's more of an off-ball defender, team defender. He's more Listen, of a help. I'm not going to split hairs he's with not you. An on, he, he, the, you think he's an on-ball defender, Jack? You you I never him, said he was an, on, a, an on-ball defender. A great he's not. Defender. I never did that. I said he's a great yes, on-ball did. defender. No, I didn't. You can, you can look back. Christian Wood, if you've been watching Rockets, then Christian Wood is not a good defender when he's guarding opposing bigs and they take him in a post. He can't. Christian him, next to, him next to P.J. Tucker is a viable option against big men rather than who did they have on him last year in the playoffs? Who did they put on Anthony Davis last year in the playoffs? Okay, PJ but you're Tucker talking about who were good defenders. Who were good defenders? Like, you're talking about who are good well, defenders. Every name that I list you, you're going to say something because I just listed three players and you rebeated all Eric, of them. So it doesn't Eric matter Gordon. what I say. Eric Gordon is a good perimeter defender. I'll, I'll give him that. Daniel House is okay. P.J. Tucker is great. I love P.J. Tucker. But – if you're gonna, if you're gonna, tell, Wall, if you're, if you're, if you're trying to tell me right now, you're Jack, you're trying to make an argument to me right now that the Rockets have a great defensive pieces, and the second name you name, name you named was James Harden. Like I I'm love James Harden, the but the second name you named roster. was James Harden. I'm going down the list on their roster right now. He's not the second best defender on the team. You could say whatever you want. They have good enough defensive pieces. Boogie's they just a defender. Need good coaching. Is and you, defender? and you said it. No. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I didn't list big. I didn't list boogie. You're trying to put words in my mouth because is you Ben Mclemore defender. Ben Mclemore is an all right enough defender. You said he's a defensive liability. He can't he be is. on the floor. He is not that bad. That's why he didn't play last year in the playoffs. They literally didn't play him because he couldn't play defense. He got limited minutes. If you're the best three point shooter on the team, percentage wise, and you don't play in the playoffs, it's because you're not doing something. That is and John Wall, yeah, he's a great defender. I, I'll say that. When at, at his best, I'm not sure what John Wall is going to do this season. But uh, his, he's still a good defender. James Harden, yes, off the ball, he has good hands. But if you watch the Rockets games, they blow by him every single time. Like James Harden doesn't he's put a much bad defender. Yeah, James Harden doesn't put much effort into that. In terms of the post, where he doesn't have to do much. You know, he can play defense. But in terms of guarding perimeter players, he can't do that. They don't have perimeter stoppers. P.J. Tucker's a good defender. He's a good help side defender. But he can't clamp up a guy one-on-one, especially guards. Guards blow by him all the time. I, and it that was exposed in the OKC series when Chris Paul, Shea, and Schroeder were dominating the Rockets. Like, you lost Covington. I don't think they got better defensively this year by losing Covington. They got rim protection with Christian Wood. Um, when he goes in to help. But when Christian Wood is matched up with the center, we'll see when he when he faces Jokic, we'll see how he looks. He gets well, bullied Jokic a lot. He's a hard very example to use friend. because he, he's the most dynamic big man in basketball. But, but that's I, think, who that the rim, I think that the rim protection is important because pairing that with P.J. Tucker, if you can hedge and help in a double team set, you know, it's easier than just putting P.J. Tucker one-on-one with Jokic. That's an impossible matchup for him. At least Christian Wood, now you have some size down low. How did helping? How did helping on Jokic work out for the Clippers in the playoffs? The Clippers was a, a horrible Errol. defensive scheme. It, it wasn't just because they helped; it was because they were lost defensively. The help would come, and nobody would rotate on the defensive end. The second swing would be wide open. I could show you the tape. It was just miserable defensive scheming and no adjustments. I trust Stephen Silas to be a better head coach than Doc Rivers was in that series. Oh, you trust Yo. Stephen Silas, a coach who's never done jack. Jack S H I T in the NBA to be a better coach than Doc Rivers to game point. Well, I mean, Doc Rivers was horrible in that Nuggets series. I mean, horrible. And so far, 
with the 18th ranked defense, like Riv named so far. Yeah, it's already better so than what much the better. Nuggets already already better than what the Clippers were doing in that Nuggets series. Oh, come on. Give me a break. The Clippers, the Clippers defense lost them that series because Doc Rivers refused to make adjustments. I, it, the same thing happened night think, in, night out. Nikola Jokic said it. I think it was more putting Montrez Harrell on <laughs> and then causing for double teams. I think with Christian Wood, you get a, a bit of size and rim protecting. I think he's a much better asset on defense. Then P.J. Tucker and Montrezl Harrell, just because he's 6'10", he has a 7'3 wingspan, so he's a lot taller. He can block shots. That's what I think Jack is trying to get at. No, he's a good, he's a good, okay rim protector, good to okay rim protector, but he's not, he doesn't, he's very weak. He gets bullied if guards try to go to the paint. He has the length to contest shots, but he doesn't have the strength to hold his own. I've seen it in the, when I watch Houston. He just doesn't have the strength to hold his own, and you mentioned Jokic, but yeah, that's the guy who they're going to have to get by. They're going to have to get by DeAndre and they're going to have to get by Jokic. They're going to have to get by Anthony Davis. You know what I'm saying? So regardless of, of, regardless of if he's weak, he's already better than anybody the Rockets had last year to guard a big man. Yeah. Am I wrong? Also, about, am I wrong about that? Also, you have right. the length. Yeah. But are they better guarding the perimeter with Christian Wood now? They're not. I think their perimeter defense is okay. At least John last Wall- year. Last year, they... the guard position. David Nwaba is a great defensive guard. Sterling Brown can guard defensively. Eric Gordon's a good defender. PJ Tucker's a good defender. James Harden might not be a good on-ball defender, but he's a great off-ball defender when he wants to be. I'm gonna be honest. I know that David Nwaba is a good defender, and he has been playing okay for Houston. So I don't want to. He's a anything. horrible offensive. I, I don't want to take anything away from David Nwaba because he's been okay this season. But if I'm going into a series and David Nwaba is my defensive stopper, I've already lost. He's not your defensive stopper, but he'll play a role coming off the bench. I'm not saying he has to be a huge part of the team, but he can play a role. It's not like they have nobody that can defend at the guard position. And like I mentioned, John Wall, who's your starting point guard and going to give you 30 minutes a night, at least in the playoffs, is an elite defender at the position right now. So I, I, I think they'll be at least all right defending the perimeter. All right, well, we'll have to see what happens going forward. And if they're bad on defense, I don't want your excuse to be it's because James Harden didn't buy in. No, it'll be because Steven Silas doesn't do a good job coaching. Which you think he is. I trust. I said I trust him to do a better job than Doc Rivers did in that series against the Nuggets last year. It remains to be seen if he will or not. We've only seen him coach, what, eight games? So who knows? But, you know, I think we were all high on that hire. So – I would hope that, yes, he can plan up a defensive scheme. If he can't, then they're screwed. I'll be the first to say that. On the offensive side, I like the hire. I don't know anything about his defensive, you know, track record. But nonetheless, this is going to do it for this episode of Pick a Side. Eight segments. We were going to do a John Collins uh, segment, but, you know. We we could wait on that. Yeah, we could wait on that for next week. I don't think it's that important right now, to be honest. So that's going to do it for this episode of Pick a Side. If you guys – you know, you guys can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Pick Aside Podcast and on Twitter at Pick Aside Pod, on TikTok at Pick Aside Podcast. And if you guys want to donate to us, you can find us on patreon.com slash Pick Aside Podcast. You can donate as little as $3 a month to us and that'll help us out a lot. So thank you guys that made it through this long episode, long and heated episode. I got into it with Jack about the Knicks and Nets. And, you know, his delusional take about the Rockets, even though I'm a Rockets fan. My delusion. 
You're you're a James Harden fan. You're not a Rocket fan. Stop saying that. You want James Harden to do well. Look, that's all I'm saying, man. We'll see what happens. We hope you guys like this episode. The quality was a little bit off because we're not recording in person, so it's going to be like that. Hopefully in the future we get equipment to record from home and the offense doesn't dip down as much. But if you made it this far, thank you guys for watching and we'll see you next time. This is Jonathan Macri from the Knicks Film School Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you are listening to right now, as well as my show, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising a another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You could invest for as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. Blue Wire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which in turn will help this show continue to grow. If you would like to be a part of the Blue Wire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com backslash blue wire.